Softball's the best, number one. It's the GOAT of sports apps. Talk about the greatest of all time. Big Joe's the greatest of all time. He's the GOAT. We know it. <laughs> I, I'm going to say right. I'm the Djokovic of this scenario. <laughs> I love it. Love it. Download the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM. The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. Indeed, half past seven on this Friday morning's OTBM, the Sports Breakfast Show on Off the Ball. Myself, Shane Hannan, and it's Ashling O'Reilly alongside me this morning. Good morning, Ashling. Good morning, Shane. How's things? Are you keeping? Colin Buhig is also here. Good morning, Colin. Thanks, Shane. You're just singing Wham there. I was, yeah. yeah I feel like I have to mention Wham because you've done it. You've done it the, the last four mornings, and this is the this is to complete the Grand Slam of the week. He's talked with Wham. This, have you seen this new documentary? We're just literally getting a coffee there in the kitchen, and he asked me, and he said, "I've mentioned it every week." So it's a plague. He's a plague. He's a plague. Like he just he won't drop it. I I didn't have time yesterday evening. That's time. That's that, what, what no, were you doing? We don't have time it. in the modern world. What were you doing? Uh, just you'd make time if you wanted to make time. Uh, I did, what maybe. Were you, what were you doing for an hour and a half? Otherwise, something last wine. Were you? Yeah, yeah. Perfect, perfect thing to watch it with. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I said. I said to you yesterday. Tomorrow's this is the last chance we can do this. I can't do this Monday. I know. I know. Well, you had. Look at this. Look, Emma Carroll writing in first comment. You've had a week, Shane. Yeah, you have, you have had a week. I'm angry, just disappointed. That makes me that makes me feel worse. It's the worst line. See, I've been, I've been watching Black Mirror. You can't just watch everything. Black Mirror will be there for you next week yeah, and the week be. after. But so the Wham Doc. No, Wham Bam. It's done this week. It's not actually though, is it? It no. is. Yeah. No, you just made that discussion, up. Discussion. No discussion wise, it is. Oh, discussion wise. Okay. Right, but not not. It'll be there for me to watch. Like Ray Foley played the intro to Club Tropicana, and this guy won't even watch the <laughs> documentary. Barely got the trailer out of him. Like actually, yeah, I watched the trailer this morning. and It looks great. Monaghan are in the All Ireland semi final. There is no time. <laughs> There's plenty of time. It's a relaxant. I can't believe that on. You're you're such a biased presenter, Shane. But when it comes to your county, you can't be you can't be unbiased. I could never report on a. Could you report on a mead match? I have a, a big mead match. Like say mead were in All Ireland semi final or final. I don't know if I could report Job's on it. Job's the job, Shane. I know, but my, I'd, I'd lose my head. Like no, I know. Like I did the the women's All Ireland final. I that, did it with Coruscant. I cried, yeah. and Cora said it on air. <laughs> I remember that. I was crying beside me. I was like. Cora. <laughs> yeah, that's what me. But like that was phenomenal. That was so out of the blue. It was just yeah. That was the that was when the, the, the first that was yeah the the first senior yeah, yeah. All Ireland after obviously oh, that's fair enough. coming up from. But during the match, you, you kept your composure. Yeah, yeah. So it was just at the very end, final whistle scenes. Yeah, yeah. Started. Well, obviously you're yeah your adrenaline is pumping a little bit different than obviously when you're a neutral at a yeah. game. But Do you remember it the nine final? Uh, yeah, like I remember the scenes afterwards as well. We all went back to um, the county club in Dunchocklin and I remember meeting Graham Garrity and Trevor yeah, Giles. And, yeah, Bastard. they were brilliant. That was, the last <laughs> 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 that was the last one, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah big geez. time. Yeah, nice. we need them days back. Must be nice. Wow. Shut up, Shane. Nearly two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. so true. But that would have been two doubles in a decade. Oh, yeah. Sean Boylan, the guru. He's involved mm. this year, isn't he, with Colin O'Rourke in the background? Yeah, so he's in the background team. That's what's interesting as well, because he was in with Conor Laverty in the under-20s. Uh, yes, Down, of course. So, yeah. There's a lot of familiarities, I feel, with, with Down and Mead. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah, and I never realised. We will get to We should touch on that. We'll, we should yeah. touch on the Maybe similarities. Later. <laughs> the, uh, or Mick McCarthy, did you hear Mick? On, I don't know if you were on the slight tangent this week, because you know the way you're a trader and sometimes you go uh, Last week, show. yeah. Thanks again last for week, attention sorry. once again. Of course. Thank you. But this week, Mick was talking about the fact that he's a 38-year-old man who has a house and kids and, and, and a wife, and he, uh, you know, Claire's loss last weekend just affected him for days. 
I was on with Pat Kenny yesterday talking about this and I was like as a grown man sporting results should not impact me the way that they do and I agree with Mick entirely here like I get impacted so much same on and win I'm buzzing for days if they lose I'm so sad for days it's like it just impacts your mood and it sh- sports shouldn't do that but it's also that's what sports about isn't it yeah that's why you love it yeah that's why you love it mm. that's why you love and hate it um, but yeah there's there's just something about it that just sticks with you for days and days and days. So after this weekend, we'll see what mood I'm going to be in. But yeah. looking forward to the weekend, generally speaking. Keep the comments coming in on the YouTube, by the way. I um, think I'm going to go to the Dublin Manning game. Oh, yeah. I think so. That'll be the best atmosphere, I think, of the yeah. weekend. Because the Talton Cup final will have a decent crowd beforehand as well. Mm-hmm. You'd imagine. Um, I think it's a sellout. Yeah. I'm nearly sure it's a sellout. Or close to it. Obviously, the Kerry Derry game should be a decent match as well. Calvin Colors says Patrick Hickey. They're not Calvin Colors, although they could be misconstrued as that. Uh, Monaghan for Sam says Mosca Funk. Um, Wham, what a show. Watch the Wham documentary. It's excellent, says Noel Cattle. What great taste Noel has. Yeah, yeah. Um, It'll be over by half time. Patrick Campbell, though, <laughs> says Hallelujah, this is the last day of discussion of Wham. Well, if you're going to have that attitude about Patrick, it won't be the last day. <laughs> yeah, fair. Uh, Shane says it'll be over by halftime. Do you mean the Tatlin Cup final? Uh, I don't know. Certainly, I know you don't mean the Dublin Monaghan match. Uh, Greg Caffrey, up down. And Huds says good morning up the kingdom. Keep the comments coming in. Who are you supporting this weekend? Here's what's on the way, by, by the way, between now and 10 o'clock this morning on the show. We've got plenty of build-up to both of those games, um, including the Kerry Derry match from 8 o'clock. Mike Frank Russell, the former Kerry star. And Paddy Bradley, uh, Derry legend was also involved in the Donegal backroom team as well this season so get his views at 8.25 we'll preview the Tottenham Cup final in more depth with Mickey Burke the former Mead star and Danny Hughes the ex-down player as well we of course did Dublin Monaghan yesterday with Jason Sherlock and Paul Finley to get that back on the podcast or the YouTube we have Brian Dowling who has departed as Kilkenny Camogie boss uh, on the show at around 8.50 Louise Shanahan the athlete the Irish athlete uh, previewing the Morton games with us around 10 past 9 and then uh, Declan Bogue who was on the show last night uh, with Nathan at around half past 9 previewing the weekend's football uh, guys I guess the big story yesterday in world sport certainly in football was Deli Ali's interview that he did for the overlap with Gary Neville um, this was an incredible 40-45 minutes wasn't it it's unbelievable mm-hmm. When it uh, popped up in the timeline yesterday morning, I was like, I knew nothing about this. Did you? There was no promo or no um, thing. throw ahead to it. Like, And uh, as soon as I saw the thumbnail of Delhi and Gary talking, I was like, I'm going to be all over this because I'm endlessly fascinated by that guy's career. Because when he, I suppose, like correctly burst onto the scene, like to quote Micah Richards, yeah. He was phenomenal. I, I hadn't really seen a player like Deddy too much because he was a strange one. You wouldn't really put him in any particular position. Like, you know, he played midfield or I suppose he was best suited to supporting Harry Kane in a deeper role. But he didn't exactly dictate games in midfield, but at the same time, he'd be up and down. Mm. And he was a flair player, but he would fly into tackles. But he had just a great knack of scoring really important goals and some spectacular ones as well and helped out with his fair share of assists. And like he said, one of the brilliant, one of the many brilliant quotes in the interview was like, um, "People used to say I was fearless. It's like I'm not fearless and brave." Yeah, and that's kind of how you would have described them. And then the drop off was just like nothing you've ever really seen in mm. modern football, anyway. So then I was just fascinated by like, what's happened to this guy? Like, has he just completely lost all motivation ever since Maurizio Pochettino left Tottenham? Yeah. And then there's that like the, probably the most f- famous thing that's happened to Delhi in the last few years was <clears throat> the Amazon documentary clip with he and. Jose Mourinho, Mourinho saying like, you're, what is it, 21 today, tomorrow you'll be 50, believe me. Called him lazy too, didn't he? No, it wasn't, in, well, it wasn't in that interview. No, he did, or it wasn't that, but, he did. but then you see, as Daddy alludes to in the interview with Gary Neville, 
a week later Mourinho apologised but Amazon didn't include that in the documentary so he felt he had an unfair edit but that was about the only finger pointing that Teddy did in the entire three quarters of an hour with Gary Neville but it's like just a stunning um, example of honesty and we were saying beforehand it's like I just don't think he would do that with a journalist no it was you know it was the fellow pro in Gary Neville who I know is a media person now rather than a footballer mm-hmm. but was still like you're going to get this you'll understand mm. but then the other side of it too is like Delhi's saying look I, this is probably too early for me to do this interview he's only three weeks out of rehab in a six week stint in America and he th- I think he said ideally it'll be another three weeks before he do it but he felt under pressure to get his story out there before the tabloids yeah. did as he put it's it it's so sad yeah that he, yeah. Had, that he felt the need yeah. that he had to come out and say like imagine the tabloids the rags going to his agent saying we're going to publicise this you need to do, like for, to be forced into something like that is disgusting mm. but also he dealt with it so well in the interview like even when he's talking about you know going to training with Mourinho and as he said he doesn't blame Mourinho for any of this but looking in the mirror at 24 and asking himself you know I just can I retire I love, I love if Gary asked him about what did he feel in that one-on-one meeting where Mourinho was, wasn't critical of him yeah. really like he, he was quite constructive actually yeah. he's saying like I actually rate you very highly but you need to make sure that you maximise your potential and talent mm. And I think Neville started asking that and then kind of went on to a different question in the same question. So I would have been interested to hear what he thought about that. But I was asking my brother-in-law as a season ticket holder at Spurs. Yeah. Obsessed, obviously. And he was saying with Delhi, even though he always seemed like a popular fella and he had like loads of friends in the Spurs camp in England, he said there was always kind of a lonely, last vibe to him. Even in the peak of his form in 2016-17, there was always something not otherworldly about him but he seemed almost distracted at times that he would just look into the distance and it wasn't even hindsight that was when he was being linked at Real Madrid by the way very fairly linked at Madrid like yeah. this guy was the real deal he's the equivalent of um, I think Martin Samuel comparing to Jude Bellingham now that you know that was yeah. that was the reputation he had and uh, like a spectacular player like no more so in that goal at Setters Park against Crystal Palace yeah. flick over the head Malatissia style but then there's crucial goals too like I remember goals at Stamford Bridge and against Manchester United and he was brilliant in the air he's quite tall mm. and uh, he just had a bit of an attitude about him he didn't really care about reputation like there was a lot to like about him like and there maverick, is, like, there is, yeah exactly a maverick but the interview was incredible because this time yesterday I don't think a lot of people had much time left for Delhi mm. and now he's like uh, everywhere Mm-hmm. But it all makes sense now. There's a moment, and most people will have will have seen it. I understand that some people won't have. Uh, but there's a moment in the middle of in the middle of it all where Gary just asks him, "What what's the story here?" And he just lists off the childhood that he had, and yeah. at age six, hmm. molested. At age seven, he's whatever smoking. Started smoking, yeah. Like uh, age Central Africa as well, yeah. by the way. At age seven, for discipline. So to think that he came from all of that and went on yeah. to do what he's done is. Just incredible! Like it, it's it's mind blowing that he was able to do that. Unbelievable! Like yeah. he's a raw talent. Like that's evident in yeah, his play. Yeah. But my God, just the mentality to be able to do that and everything that he's been through. I just think, yeah, Gary did so well in that interview. Mm. Just the way he handled Brilliant, it, and yeah. he had such patience. And you often forget, I think, with Gary as well, that yeah, he is this ex footballer and yeah. he's had this incredible career at Manchester United, but. Wow, he's an unbelievable broadcaster as well, you know. Because Gary didn't, and look, it's one of those type of interviews where you wouldn't need it, but he, he, like, he didn't have any notes in front of him. It was just a, a conversation between two people who clearly know each other from the time with England. Yeah. Mm. And he was just so... He listened, Gary, like, do you know? You got the sense that it was, that Delhi was opening up to him and maybe mightn't, as you say, opened up to, to anyone else. Certainly not a journalist. Clearly sceptical of the media and, and journalists. Mm. Um, and probably rightly so when you see the, the things like... 
you know, being forced to come out and talk about this when he was only in rehab three weeks ago. Um, a tough life to to be in as well, like in football, the way it's you know it's it's so uncertain. Yeah, feels like he needed a bit of stability, and that's when he thrived. And maybe moving clubs when managers left, like yeah. that, had such an effect on him. It felt like the the sleeping pills thing mm. was. I, I didn't realise the extent to which sleeping pills were used in football. Even Gary seemed like, oh, this is footballers, you know, naturally are offered maybe sleeping pills by staff, you know, night before a big game or whatever to, to get to sleep. I hadn't even considered that as something that, that, they might, that they might need. But as he described it, like, yeah, sometimes you'd, be, you'd have so much energy the night before a game and you have to sleep because otherwise you're not going to perform the next day that he would take sleeping pills. But then when he says he was taking pills, he didn't put a number on it, but at 11 o'clock in the morning and, and just to get him through the day. and On his days off. Oh, to remove himself from reality. like From 11am, yeah. That's insanity. Yeah, but, but it, probably made, it probably made a lot of sense to him at yeah. the time, like, which was the worst thing about it. He but kept saying he was just numb. Yeah. So people tried to help or his family when he said they were in a room literally crying to him, mm. begging him, you know, telling them how important he was to them, everything, what he could do, and he just said he was numb to it all. Yeah. But it's all he's heard as well is like how much of a waste of talent he's been. So Gary Neville interviewed Alex Ferguson not too long ago for Lad Bible, I think. Yeah, I remember he had that. the typical questions of like, oh, the player you regret not signing. His answer was Paul Gascoigne, mm-hmm. and there are parallels there. And then he said, um, was one of Gary's questions was, what player do you think is going to be a star? And, and Ferguson said, I thought Delhi was going to be, and I don't know what happened there. And that's like the godfather yeah. of British football saying that. And then that's magnified by, you know, a million because it's happened to him all the time, like all yeah. the time. But the Gascoigne thing is interesting. Um, he said in his own book, the one that came out in about 2004, the one he wrote, Gascoigne, when he was just finishing up playing. Mm. And he said, like, people call me a waste of talent. He's like, it's remarkable how much I achieved considering my upbringing yeah. and childhood. You have to look at the other part. Gascoigne, had a, he had an awful incident too where he was babysitting one of the neighbours yeah, and the neighbor was knocked down by an ice cream van and killed. Jesus, and like he was blamed for it, like and so he, and he had like he never got over that, and then he has trauma that he's only dealing with now. Like so, he's saying, you know, he got young player of the year twice in a row. I think mm. linked to Real Madrid when at the time it made total sense. That World Cup in twenty eighteen started for England in yeah. twenty eighteen, and that was probably just past his peak. Yeah, and that Tottenham side in the middle of the last decade, the one that came second to. Uh, our third to Leicester in 2015-16 was a brilliant young talent side mm. it was kind of like the Leeds team of the turn of the century yeah. and he was very much prominent in that side so he went so he was sky high right so what he's achieved is remarkable considering yeah. what he's done so it's totally flipped now the narrative as I say this time yesterday people are saying what a waster oh Do you remember like in the, and that was yeah. all the that was the headlines yeah party boy yeah that's in the that's in the, the comments here. Shane says, I think the Delhi interview is a massive lesson for us all, be it when we judge people in sport or just in everyday life, you never know what anyone is going through. And that's a fair point. I think we all probably at some point judge. Our own Daniel Harris tweeted that like everyone does. I mean I think everyone knows that, but you do forget it. You do yeah. take it for granted and you yeah. do take people at face value. Hundred percent. So it is a reminder that people have stuff going on behind the scenes that they'll never let you in, like Bobby Dwyer, I know, is a, a big Spurs fan. Says, "I'm 34, and in my time supporting Spurs, Delhi, the most naturally gifted, one of the most naturally gifted players we've had in my time. Absolutely heartbreaking interview. Hopefully, this is when the weight has lifted off his shoulders and he can get back to his best on the pitch." That's it. He's 27, isn't yeah. it? Like, yeah, I was so excited by listening to how we finished the interview and how positive he was and how he wants to be back mm. better than he was before. It's interesting. Bobby said that, like our resident Spurs fanatic. I I actually thought it was a positive interview. 
Oh, like, yeah. I thought the details were harrowing, like, and mm. really sad. But I think it's uplifting at the end because yeah. he's like, it's yeah. a weight off his shoulders. And I think whatever he does now, it's not quite a bonus, but I think it'll be better. Like, he hit an all-time low. Like, when he went to Everton, as we know now, he wasn't really present at all. Yeah. And I remember Frank Lampard, when he was managing them, talked about him in the in press conferences and people asking, like, where's Deddy? What's the story with Deddy? Mm. And he'd be quite curt and short, being like, Deddy needs to kind of commit to football. So, mm. the, you know... That line itself would add to the idea that this yeah. guy didn't care. Like, And then he goes off the Besiktas and then I remember myself and Phil Egan talking about him one morning here in the office saying, oh, you see, Daddy got booed off the pitch by Besiktas fans and he was taken off in the first half of the game by the manager mm-hmm. and he's supposed to be the star player in the number 10 position. Yeah. And he's trotting off and he's just his head down and he's looking into the distance and everyone's thinking the same thing. This guy does not care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It that turned out he really... That was the caring was not the problem for Daddy Ali. Like he says, he's in such a positive place now, and he even, even Gary asked him about his about Everton, and you know he wants to go back. He's got a year left in his contract with Everton, but he he's not putting pressure on himself. He, you kind of get the sense that he's like, well, if it doesn't work out at Everton, it doesn't work out. Yeah, but I feel great, and like who knows what the future holds for for him. But I, I, yeah, I feel it, like it's, it's not question. just football. Yeah, you know he kept talking about hoping that this will help just one person exactly, and having a bit more of a purpose and stuff. He kept mm. mentioning things like that, so. I think he'll do so much more than with just football now. I know oh, it's yeah. hard to balance both, um, but that Foster family must be really it must be the most amazing group of people, people like he yeah. said, because like he speaks so well. Yeah. He's so thoughtful. Mm. He's still really young, like mm. even at twenty seven, like you're still kind of a baby at that age and life experience like it's only fifteen years ago that he was adopted. Like you That's know. such Absolutely. a good point because the way he got that story across, like, you know, yeah. that's not easy to articulate in your emotions no. and, and everything that goes with it. And he was amazing in the interview if you actually think about it that right. way. Yeah. Just the way he, he's so he he's kind of philosophical really for a, a young man, like yeah. but he's lived two lives, like you said there. <sighs> he's you know? unbelievable. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with him. Yeah. Um I don't know if his future's at Everton, I don't even know if it's in Football. England. Well, I know. I, I think he'll play. I think he will he'll play, play football yeah, again. Yeah. You have to bear in mind too. You, what you'd forget is that he's he's injured. Like he's physically injured. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I, who knows how fit he's going to be when he comes back? And if he, I don't, he may not be the same player he was. He may have peaked very early in his career. Mm. But uh, I'd love. I think if he does play for Everton next season or a Premier League side, the ovation he's going to get in that first game, yeah. you'd imagine, would oh. be very positive. As the season goes on, if he does play the whole campaign next year in England he will have times where fans are going to use that interview against him. Of course. And he's probably, he's probably ready for that. They're going to call him all sorts that of things. That is horrific. But yeah. they will. And you know, you know they will. Like When oh, time yeah. moves on, people are going to start using that against him. But I genuinely don't think he'll care about that. I don't think and so. that this helps. So look, I hope, um, I hope we see him on the pitch because as Bobby Dwyer has alluded to there, like what a talent. Yeah. And a raw I talent. I actually miss the footballer, Delhi, but now the person, Delhi, is sky high all oh, big time so uh, keep your comments coming in Greg Caffrey says some of the British press are disgraceful forcing someone to do that per chap but he's coming right <coughs> I think fully agree with you there um, Michael saying unfortunately currently media culture doesn't allow the human aspect of professional sport there are many more like Delhi behind the scenes but rarely acknowledged um, yeah it's true and, and like key those comments coming in because as Shifty Lad says here his style of playing just made it look like he didn't care too much hopefully the lad has a great career ahead yeah. that was the thing as well that's also a really good point back the attitude. language style yeah um, Kind of like oh, c'est la vie. Yeah, uh, it added to it, but it worked. It worked for him. Yeah, and people used to praise him for that. Mm, it's true. I encourage anyone who hasn't seen the interview, by the way, to to give it a look on on YouTube or wherever you watch it's it. It's all over the back page. It's, it's like I mean, what like what an impact that interview has had. Like fair play to Gary Neville. It's unbelievable. Yeah, fair play to for him and and to Delhi as well for for coming out and talking about it as well. Um, a few other bits. You know, the two Irish clubs in action in uh, in Europe last night. Derry City. 
uh, frustrated beginning their Europa Conference League campaign at HB Tushavan nil nil draw didn't play well by all accounts Dundalk as well uh, the heat being a major issue for them and, and a lot of chances for their opposition uh, one of the best team names by the way another scoreless draw here against Bruno's Magpies mm-hmm. in the Europa Conference League first qualifying round that was a Victoria Stadium nil nil Bruno's Magpies. I think like. Dan McDonald was on the show talking about them a year ago. Bruno's Magpies. Yeah, sound like a great pub team. Many times can I they say that? They may be a pub team. They might be actually. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to know more about Bruno's Magpies. Yeah. Do we know where they're from? They're they're a Gibraltar team. Gibraltar. Okay. Gibraltar. What's the word there? How do you Gibraltian. say Gibraltar? Gibraltar. We'll go with it. Yeah. Uh, the football team for Gibraltar. Yeah, playing the Gibraltar National League. Formed in 2013. They're 10 years old. Okay. Initially, this is how they were formed. As a group of friends who drank at the Bruno's Bar and Restaurant Bar in Gibraltar. Ah, oh, I love them, right. So now they're now my... Bandwagon. Uh, just in the last 10 seconds, they've become my new, my new favourite team. Yeah. Group of magpies <laughs> drinking. There you go. Lovely. In its first two seasons, they were mid-table in Gibraltar's second division. Then they kind of moved up. Um, this, this is amazing. Then a real estate agent in Gibraltar came on board as sponsors in 2015-16. Started to move to professionalise the whole thing. This is incredible. What a story. Group of mates just going drinking and setting up a football team yeah. and now they're playing in the Europa Conference League qualifying. Uh, most of their players from Spain, a few Gibraltar internationals there as well. So, yeah, a uh, little draw for the dock. Probably disappointing week generally yeah, for the Irish clubs. In there. You, were, you were at Tallis Stadium the night. Yeah, was that the Shamrock Rovers game? Yeah, disappointing performance. I think the first half they just lacked energy altogether. Mm. Um, they were playing Breidablik from um, Iceland. Yeah, and they they're a really good side. Like they'd scored twelve goals before, you know, the the for the in the preliminary round. So yeah, they were well able to score goals, and you could see that their press, their attacking type yeah. of play, it, it was tough for for Shamrock Rovers to deal with. And yeah, they came out in the second half a little bit more urgency about them, but yeah, in the end, it wasn't enough. So they are away to Iceland now next Tuesday for the second leg. So yeah. it's going to be a huge, big ass, huge yeah. game for Rovers that one. Big time. Um, Wimbledon yesterday lived up to expectations. Brilliant. Like Brilliant. Van is the story now, is she? Marketa van der Sova's always kind of been there, thereabouts. Very kind of skillful left hander. Yeah. So that final against Anjabur tomorrow will actually be a battle of the counter press nearly and the skills. So it won't be a, a kind of a power uh, display. So that's what Jabur has been up against now for her last mm. three rounds. So she beat Arena Sabalenka yesterday in three sets. Brilliant. She was a set in 4 2 down in the second <sighs> set. Incredible. And I, I like I, I was watching it. You could see in her face, like Jabir, like last year's finalist, beaten finalist. She was like, "Not this again." Yeah. But now it's you know stage earlier, and she looked positively like fed up, four two down. Yes. With Sabalenka in control, and she said afterwards she was like, "I just didn't care anymore. I was like, all I want to do is break Sabalenka, just break her, serve, and even if I lose in straight sets, fair enough. But my ambition is to break her yeah and she went she won I think 13 of the last 16 games after breaking her right. um, incredible right so Jabir's like known as the most naturally gifted player mm. on the women's side she's incredible array of shots the thing that she's done this year like this is her third grand slam final in 12 months the thing that she's done in the last year is that she's kind of put all that to the side a bit like Cristiano Ronaldo when he first signed for United mm-hmm. was kind of remember all tricks and Ruud van Nistelrooy would be rage and just get the ball in and yeah. then he, Ronaldo ended up being the most direct player known to football yeah. so Jabir's taken a bit of that and is just rally for rally now and just hitting winners and forgetting about the flair she brings out the flair whenever she wants every yeah. so often so she should be a Grand Slam champion by now. She's added that ruthlessness to her game. But like she was in danger yesterday of getting knocked out. She was in danger in the quarterfinals of getting knocked out mm. against last year's winner, who she lost to in the final, Rybakina, mm. Elena Rybakina from Kazakhstan. And Jabir was ahead in both tie breaks of both first sets in the last two rounds yeah. and lost them. Yeah. So her capacity to come back 
with talent is amazing. She works a lot on her mental side yeah. of the game as well because even before she went out, she's there speaking to her coach. I don't know if it's a psychologist or, or what it was, but they were just talking about it in commentary and they said like this has been a massive part of her game. Yeah, they have a really tight knit coaching setup. She's one of the subjects of the Bray Point documentary. Oh yeah. yeah. So her husband is her trainer mm-hmm. and then she is another guy. I think it's a very tight knit group, but they're you can tell that they're genuine all close and friends. Yeah. So uh, I think everyone's hoping that she beats uh, Van Drusseva unless they're in that camp. Yeah. But Van Drusseva is actually the favourite here because she's beaten Jabir in the last two the times they played this year. Uh, Van Drusseva, yeah. not a her first Grand Slam. Is it? Yeah. What's That's what I'm saying. She's always been there, thereabouts. She's yeah, never yeah. done it really in the biggest of stages. But um, she has a winning record or she's won the last two times they played. So Jabir mentioned that in the post-match uh, yeah. interview. So it's going to be a really good final and if Shabur wins, like she's already the most successful um, female Arab tennis player ever. Right. But if she wins a Grand Slam, she'll probably be an absolute hero in the continent, let alone Tunisia. Still lost to Jenny Tlaffey years ago. Six love, <laughs> six shame. love. i point that out. Do you know? Jenny, if you're watching, we got love. your back. And the men's semi-finals are today. Yeah. So Novak Djokovic against Yannick Sinner. And Sinner's interview, by the way, after his, his uh, quarterfinal win was hilarious. He was like, do you, do you mind who you, who you draw in the semi-finals? He was like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, Djokovic would preferably avoid no yeah, Djokovic. Yeah, he has all the talent in the world, but this is his first Grand Slam semi, which is hard to believe, Sinner. Right. Um, and then a Carlos Alcaraz against Daniel Medvedev is the other semi-final. So th- it's really, really high quality on paper. Mm. All all remaining games, actually. So the two semis today, the final tomorrow and the final on Sunday, yeah. will on paper be high, high quality versus at the start of the tournament when we were missing so many star names. So it's it's redeemed itself big time from the actual play mm. rather than the names. We look forward to those uh, two semi-finals today. Did want to turn attention back to, to Matters Gaelic Football and the comments are coming in on the Gaelic Football as well. Muller B says, Shane is surely in the dark, blood red in the power rankings, performance rankings you mean, on Monday when Monaghan lose and for failing to watch the Wham Dock. Even if Monaghan lose, it's, look, you still got to get behind your, your team. I'm, 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 it, it, what's the point in me going to Croke Park tomorrow without belief and hope? It's probably mainly <laughs> what hope. What kills us, Shane? Exactly, the hope is going to kill us. Uh, Kenny the Dad says, Today we learned that Shane has convinced himself of a Monaghan win this weekend. Of course I have. I mean, 36 hours out, whatever it is. I have fully convinced myself that we're going to do it. Uh, but the, the game that precedes that one is the Talent Cup final. Mm-hmm. Meath versus Down. Mm. The big one. The big one, the huge one. Three, is it three o'clock? Yeah, yeah three o'clock three for that game one. at Croke Park. And um, yeah, we, d- we did want to kind of look ahead to it and, and get some preview and build up from County Down this morning, Drum Gaff. Uh, Colm again joined us on the line this morning. Good morning, Colm. How are things? Good morning, folks. How's things? How are you keeping? Uh, how's the how's the build up? Fairing and Down at the minute? Fever pitch? Yeah, all's good. Um, I suppose there's a lot of bumping and flags and all up at the minute and people are all getting ready, yeah, all excited. Ashley, does this man look familiar? Yeah, I might know him, yeah. I'm looking at him going, maybe, yeah. <laughs> for people, for people right, wondering. I'm more nervous about more through the bragging rights when I go down to me. Yeah. <laughs> Colm, this, this is your debut on Off the Ball, I think. I think I'm right. Yeah, that, absolutely. Yeah, it wouldn't really be Colm yeah. Singh, so yeah, fair play, Colm. So for people wondering what the hell is going on here, Colm and Ashley are future husband and wife. Yeah. They are engaged. Oh, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> Future Mr. O'Reilly. Future Mr. O'Reilly, it says on the screen here, Colin, just in case you're wondering. But um, is this, is this, has this led to awkwardness in the McGinn O'Reilly household at the minute? Because obviously there's the down Meath rivalry that goes, probably goes back to the early 90s, to be fair. But um, I mean, in your gaff, it's going to be a little bit awkward this weekend. Yeah, well, I suppose the 90s they were playing in the, the Sam Maguire. This time it's new, sort of new era, but both counties are where they are at the minute but 
Ashley's Ashley family WhatsApp group's been relatively quiet, so after that. <laughs> I think after There's that. There's a lot of slagging that goes on. You know, right. they love this. That now, obviously, we're in a final against you. 1991 was the last time. Me and Colm don't remember that. You know, too young. <laughs> but we're always being told about it. So it's nice now to be to be back in, in a final against each other. But yeah, there's a lot of slagging that goes on, isn't there, Colm? My brother is. My yeah. brother actually went in to to watch the the semi final with Colm. All right. How did that go? Yeah. Colin? <laughs> when when Down scored their fifth, sixth goal in the second half of the Leash game, he just got up and walked out instead of being enough. So <laughs> I think the confidence is slowly but surely draining from them. But no, we'll see how it goes. I was going to say, when a team scores, like when they get eight goals, Ashley, in the, in the semi final, you have to be thinking as a Mead fan, I, I know Leash weren't great, but mm-hmm. that is, that's pretty con- convincing stuff from Down. Like, Big time. Uh, like the only way you can look at that is that Leash weren't at the races at all, so you feel that maybe Mead had the better test and mm. preparation. But at the same time, it just looked like Down were let loose. And Colm, that was something we spoke about. Just how Down maybe suit Crow Park. Yeah, I think Connor's brought a team in that's sort of nearly designed in such to play in Crow Park. They're the wee small fellas who just are full of running, full of pace. You usually see in Gaelic football boys running at one and twos coming off the shoulder, but they seem to be going at threes. And at that level, they can get away with it, I suppose, in the Talton Cup, because with Crook Park just being as big as it is, I've seen, I seen them beating Leash well last time, but I didn't think it would have been the same, as big as it was. But I think they might just have too much against Mead as well. That's the thing as well, Colm, isn't it? Like the Conor Laverty's team, a lot of these lads would have, I guess, played with them on, at under twenty level. And you look at the the spine of that team, and there's there's a lot of twenty three, twenty four year olds. So like these lads will run all day for you. Yeah, uh, there was a big clear out and such last year. I think Down played Cavan in the Ulster Championship last year, and the whole county was in disarray. There was off the field stuff. There was only about one or two hundred Down fans, I believe, at Bradney Park that day, but. He's came in and he's just changed the county for the better. Everybody's bought into him. Mm. There was always a big issue in, in down with club football, the rivalry, and he seems to have just sort of got everybody as one unit now, and they're all going in the same direction, which is good. You'd have played club level under a certain down supremo, call him Mickey Linden. <laughs> Mickey, yeah. So, we're back to the 90s, Mickey and the likes of James and and stuff was the type of people you always grew up looking to support and looked up to and all. And I remember my club, Drumgath, were like a small rural parish intermediate level. And when Mickey came to his first training, there was maybe about 60 boys there. <laughs> so that sort of tells the level of what where people rate Mickey. And they, like around the country, even, you know, Mickey Litton was sort of a household name, the likes of James McCartan and... Ross Carr so mm. yeah if them boys get anywhere close to that they'll be going well you what were... was Mickey like in training? he was he was like a, he was a gentleman like he he never spoke about himself he only talked to you about how he, he could prepare for games but when he he trained with us in his late 40s early 50s and he was still the fastest in the team and he always dropped the shoulder of his trademark and put it over the bar from 45 yards out. So, yeah, he was unbelievable. I know if, if, if my girlfriend was from Dublin, say, for example, this weekend, <laughs> and she was big into the ga, and after the match, <laughs> Dublin won, I would not be able to, to speak to her. So, like, are, are the two of you the same? Like, what will the... You're, I presumably you're both going to the match. No. You're not going. <laughs> 
So I know this is. See, awful. I didn't. I didn't go to the Armagh Monaghan game, and I was getting criticised. I for can't that, so. go. I'm working at a different game. Fair, okay. That's yeah, fair. I'm at a Armagh and Cork um, in the women's game on that's, on Saturday, that's and then. Work. Column has a wedding, friend's wedding. Oh so my two God. of us. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. We're both separated, but maybe that's the. For that could the best. be for the best. <laughs> will, will it be awkward? Like, will it be. Will, it, will you just genuinely have five, yeah. ten minutes to kind of decompress when you first see each other if, if, yeah. it's, if one has battered the other in the match? I'd like to, I'd like to know, uh, Column, who will take the defeat better, in oh, your yeah. honest opinion? That's a better way of putting it. <laughs> this is easy. Well, Ashley's very competitive, so <laughs> I'd say you can rub her up very easily, yeah. Like <laughs> her, her brothers and her cousins even texted me this morning saying what I'm doing for the game and stuff. So <laughs> it's more if I'm able to show my face around Ratoth than me in the next few weeks. That's all I'm worried about. Well, I tell you, you've put yourself on, on camera now on, on Off the Ball, so you'll be getting yeah. potentially stopped a little bit more, you'd imagine. And the notice. amount of messages that I'm even getting me like, I hope you're shouting for me, Dashing. I'm like, I live in down, yeah, but. Like, come on, yeah, my yeah. heart is me. That's even more. That's more of a reason to shout for me. I guess living yeah, in that. I mean, of course. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. It's one of those awkward ones. I think that that uh, hopefully you're both smiling and still friends and still going to get married <laughs> at the end of all of this. Can't both be smiling. So, no, but, but has I, to be a loser here. I knew actually. You see, I met you, Colm, at the the triathlon. Was it last year, the year before? And like, that's right. I, yeah. In the build up to that, I knew there was a sense that Ashley was. Probably after myself, the second most. Comp- no, you're probably more competitive than me. To be fair, really, I'm pretty competitive. But like the f- the smack talk that was going on, Tommy Rooney was involved in all this as well. <laughs> but I just knew. So, Colin, you have my utmost sympathy this weekend. Because- yeah, Colin is very calm. <laughs> he won't let much phase him. When, yeah, maybe I show it a bit. More. I feel like down lads are all like that. Yeah, you know, down lads are all co- cool, calm, composed. They always have been. All the way you think that's right, like, Adam? What do you mean? Always envy. Just even that 2010 team, just like Marty Clark and all these lads just coasting around the pitch. There was just something about them. Was, there was an aura to that. Down. You probably remember that 2010 final, Colin, do you? Yeah, I do indeed, yeah. Um, it was sort of, as I was actually saying, it was, we, I wasn't born for 91 and 90, 94 came too early. So 2010 was probably the only down team that we can look back nearly in fond memories because it's not kid ourselves the last 10-15 years well since 2010 it's been sort of poor you know there's a lot of more emphasis on the clubs nearly so hopefully the Tajin Cup here might sort of change the direction for the better yeah absolutely well, listen. you would know uh, Brendy McVeigh who played in goals that ah, day. Yeah, he works yeah. with Brendy he's only after texting he's tuning in here <laughs> the texts are going to start rolling in now Colm just before we go I just have to clarify Colm are you Colm or Colm yeah Colm C-O-L-M yeah that's, no, that's the proper way to say it isn't it Colm yeah, we, we we're, both, we're both the same spelling, but with very different pronunciation. See, That's what you get from each end of the country. But I would it's always the beauty say, of it, really. You give out to me before because I'm from Monaghan, obviously. So I'd say column as well, C O L M. Yeah, but, but that's you, wrong. You Cork lads okay. with, with your column. <laughs> uh, column. You don't know how to say your name, column. Column, column sounds like C U L L. U-M. Well, that's yeah. pronunciation, but the spelling is the same. Yeah, but why don't you Colin just say Colum? It's supposed to be Colum. But I could never call Colum McGinn Colum McGinn because I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be genuine to myself. Yeah. But he would never say Colum Buig. But, he, but he's but his is it, it is Colum. Yeah, another way of saying it. Like you have Rory, <laughs> it is, it is, but it's Rory right, and like. Rory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. But they're different spellings. But they, um, <laughs> this is the same spelling, right? But So it's only it's a monster <laughs> pronunciation, basically. And yeah. you, know, you know who else says Colum? Who? Nathan and he's Mayo. See them lads over there. No, he's just know. doing that for you because you've given out to us. 
he would be the last person to do that for me if I give it to him. But yeah, this is Doherty Doherty. There's one way of doing it right, and it's Doherty. You know, you you lads Doherty's down in Cork. That's this is the problem. You have to pronounce. Sorry, basically. Someone says, "I swear to God, I thought he was about to ask him did he watch Wham." So this is the running joke on the show all this week. Column is that uh, Cullum here won't stop talking about Wham. But, um, <laughs> Never thought I'd be on on a Friday morning talking about how to finish the <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like there a fever go. dream, I'd say. Uh, listen, may the best team win, guys. Now. I hope the two of you on the Royals, huh? On the Royals and on the morning. <laughs> um, but Colum, thanks a million. I'm going to start saying Colum now. Colum, thanks a million for hopping on. Brilliant, folks. Thanks, thanks very much. Colum. Thanks, Colum. See you later on. Uh, we will preview, of course, the Tottenham Cup in more detail a little bit later as well with uh, Danny Hughes and Mickey Burke. Uh, that's that's an experience for you, Ashley. Oh, delighted. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> Fair play to him. It's not normally a thing that we do, and I was delighted when yeah. he said he wanted to do it. Sorry, he's brilliant. He's a good analyst. Oh, yeah. yeah. What the he honestly out. knows everything about sport inside out. Oh, I've been go. so impressed. All, all, he knows a hell of a lot more than me. He send the CV in. Send looking the for a job. Um, so we will preview that uh, in more detail of course with, with the two lads Paddy, uh, Paddy Bradley and Mike Frank Russell are uh, upcoming in just a second as well to preview the Kerry Derry All-Ireland Senior Football Semi-Final that's on Sunday OTB AM The Sports Breakfast Show from Off The Ball 8.09am on this Friday morning's OTBM, the sports breakfast show on Off The Ball. Myself and Ashling with you through until 10 o'clock this morning. Time to turn our attention, uh, stick with Gaelic football, but to the All-Ireland Senior Football Championship second semi-final on Sunday afternoon. It is the matter of Kerry versus Derry. Delighted to say we'll have uh, Paddy Bradley on the line with us in just a second. We do have Mike Frank Russell, former Kerry legend, on the line with us this morning as well. Mike Frank, how are things? Morning, guys. Thanks for hopping on. Uh, What's the feeling in, in Kerry ahead of this one? Because... I guess Derry, you know, Ulster champions two years in a row. Not many teams get to do that, so you, you can't, I guess, get too confident ahead of this one. Although after the the quarterfinal performance, there must be a, an air of confidence in Kerry. Yeah, um, I think there's a lot of premature talk, really. I suppose going by the two semi-finals, Kerry Dublin. There's a lot of talk about Kerry Dublin final already, but that's I think there's been a lot of disrespect shown towards one and Derry. To be honest with you, you know, Derry they're back-to-back Ulster champions. Um, they're back in the semi-final from last year. So, look, it's going to be a new puzzle for Kerry. Um, they got over um, Tyrone the quarter-final. Very impressive. But Derry, to me, there's something about them. Um, they've been knocking on the door with a couple of years with these minors coming through. So, it is, it's going to be a big task again. And just mentally, for Kerry, I think it's, it's more of a mental thing this time because they had a history with Tyrone. But this time, Derry, there's no history between them as such. So it's a new puzzle to try and start to, for them to to get their heads around. It's going to be tough for Jack O'Connor to get the players up again. So it's going to be a tough task, I think, you know. The setup, like uh, Kerry very well gave Tyrone the kick out in the quarterfinal and it, and it worked perfectly. Obviously, that strategy was something that they'd planned and, and built on. Do you, do you stick to that sort of plan for Derry or, or do you change things up? Yeah, I was talking to one of the Kerry players last week and the word he used was patience because I was actually up at the Tyrone game and they gave him the kick out. But I think it's going to be the same because Paddy Talley's come in as a coach of Kerry and their big emphasis is protect the D to stop goals. And Derry have got a goal in all their games this year, apart from the morning game and the, the Ron Robbins. So Kerry are going to sit up to stop Derry getting goals because I think Derry are going to need two or three goals to beat Kerry. I can't see... Derry scoring 17, 18, 19 points. So I think Derry are going to get have to get two, three goals. So Kerry are going, let's be honest, Kerry and Dublin, they're saying traditional teams, but they can play defences as well, which they did against Tyrone. And Kerry will be trying to protect that D again against Derry. 
Yeah, that was probably one of the most impressive things about Kerry in that in that quarter final. You know, they scored one eleven from turnovers. They probably did what Tyrone normally do to to Kerry, yeah. and yeah. that's probably the influence of Paddy Talley in there as well. Absolutely, yeah. He's uh, he's really come in and solidified the D. Pike Morley is sitting in front of the D now. Can Derry occupy Pike Morley on Sunday? Can they? drag him out of there and try and open because I think Kerry, Derry will try and hunt for goals uh, if Kerry think can protect that I think Derry have a great chance but for me Derry will have to get two if not three goals to beat Kerry and even the midfield battle that's one in particular I think there'll be a lot of eyes on we talked a lot about it against Tyrone as well and just look at the performances that, that Kerry went on to have Dermot was unbelievable in the middle that day he picked up the man of the match Obviously, with Derry, people say that it's one of the best midfields in the country. That's probably going to be one of the, the main parts of the game, the winning and losing of it. Yeah, um, Conor Glass and Brendan Rodgers. I mean, they're coming yeah. up with big scores. But the last day, Dermot O'Connor, I suppose, for, for most Kerry people watching him, he became a man. He, he, became, he came of age. We knew he had this potential and he just really took over the game and so it's going to be fascinating. A big step up now, another step for Dermot. Can he go again against probably the informed midfielder the last two or three years Conor Glass so it'll be fascinating yeah um, going to be very interesting Brendan Rodgers have to be watched as well because he's going up scoring uh, freely as well and he's a big weapon on the, on the attacking side for him as well you know so Jack Barry will have to be able to track him as well It's an unchanged team from, from Kerry for this one uh, as well Mike Frank and I know Killian Spillane I think is or one of the Spillane certainly left out of the, the panel but it, like the fact that he's gone with an unchanged team albeit we, we, we kind of sit and wait in Croke Park uh, Press boxes waiting to see whether there be any changes before throw in. But um, even looking at that Kerry half back line, the importance of them, Paul Murphy, Tig Morley, Gavin White, have been brilliant and, and they've been a crucial cog in, in this Kerry team uh, the whole year. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually surprised Killian Spillane, uh, his back training hasn't made the panel. I'm a big mm. fan of Killian. Um, the last number of years, I suppose he's been labelled now as an impact sub, super sub, but he's always producing, he's come on. So I think when you come to this stage, the championship, he has that bit of experience. Um, so to me, I think on Sunday, I, I personally think it's going to go down to the last 10, 15 minutes and you're looking at Kerry's benched in possibly, the likes of Kenny Spam when he's not there and all, but Tony Bros and these guys. But yes, yeah, so that's just one thing. But going back to the half-back line, they've been playing very well, especially Gavin White. He has pace, he's counter-attacking, he's bringing the ball in up, up the field. Um, so the Derry half-forward line are going to have a busy a busy day tracking them. But on the, on the flip side, uh, the Derry half-back line, Garrett McKinless, these guys, they, they, I suppose the four teams left, they're probably the paciest counter-attacking team in the country, in my opinion. They're transitioning very quick, so Kerry half-forward line are going to have keep tabs on them also, so there's a flip side to it, you know. Um, Declan Bogue was on the show last night with uh, with Nathan. He was making the point. He feels Shane McGuigan is more important to this Derry team than David Clifford is to the Kerry team. And what he means by that is, I guess Clifford has a lot of star power around him. Shawnee O'Shea chips in with the scoring as well, obviously from uh, from play and from from place balls. But would you go along with that that McGuigan maybe is is more important to Derry than Clifford to Kerry? Possibly, yeah. I, I I nearly agree with that because, as I said already, I think. To me, on Sunday, Derry, I think they need to bring just something different. I'm going to be looking at like the Kieran McFall, Eaton Doherty's, um, Niall Toners. Can they help Shane McGuigan to pop, to chip in with an extra two or three points? Because when you get to this stage of the championship, Clifford has a support cast too, which is absolutely brilliant. Like and same with Doug McConnell, Callan. 
can Shane McGuigan get some help on Sunday? Just you know, because he's going to be a mark man. These guys, these marquee forwards. But I think they have to bring something different in forwards this Sunday to, to help Shane McGuigan. But but to see how important he is, absolutely, you know. Yeah, at the start of the season, I wondered can Shane do it in these big games and my god uh, literally every game he has stood up for them I think he's still top scorer now at the minute but I pro- probably the fear there for Derry is that David Clifford didn't have his best performance the last day yes he had this unbelievable kick from the sideline what a pass but he probably wasn't at the heights that he's normally at and that'll probably be one of the, the factors of the game who do we think will pick him up probably Chrissy McKay it's fascinating, yeah. I, I, people are saying, they, they, uh, I know, I suppose, you're coming to expect uh, David not to be scoring off the charts, but I was up, I actually thought he played well. He, he drew a lot of attention. There was two or three drawn towards him the whole time. So it freed up a lot of the Shawnee O'Shea's and these guys. So I think if if the, if Kerry win the next day and Jack O'Connor, David Clifford has done a job of attracting attention and the other fellas get loose, so be it. Kerry would be happy to take that too. But yeah, the matchups will be fascinating, I think. Um, what we're hearing is Chris um, Paddy might know more there about it, but it looks like Chrissy McKeag is going to pick up David Clifford. Um, what I like about the Sterry team too, they're very adaptable. If you go back to the Shot Neil club team, Brendan Rogers played for back, Chris McClay used to play centre back and used to pick up Dear McConnelly for St. Vincent's. So are Derry going to throw a cat among the pigeons and change a few positions around? Um, but at the moment, what we're hearing is going to be Chris McKeag and David Clifford, so that would be a fascinating duel. Um, Conor McCluskey could be picking up Shawnee O'Shea, uh, Podrick McGrogan and Paulie Clifford. So, but they're in their defence, they're adaptable, they, they switch positions. So um, are they going to throw a curveball and try something different, you know? Uh, we do have the uh, former Derry star forward Paddy Bradley on the line as well. Morning, Paddy. Um, Mike, Mike Frank was making the point there at the outset that there's been a lot of disrespect uh, afforded towards Derry and Monaghan in advance of the semi-finals. A lot of the papers and a lot of the, the pundit opinions being that it's uh, it's already a, essentially a Dublin Kerry final. Is that has that attitude been picked up in Derry? Is this a siege mentality thing that, that might be used by these teams by both Derry and Monaghan? I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's necessarily a siege mentality thing, but yeah, I suppose everybody up at this. Part of the part of the country, I suppose, looks at it that yeah, everybody's saying that Kerry and Dublin's gonna gonna make the the, the, the finals, and that's the final that everybody wants to see the two, I suppose, star-studded lineups. But Kerry aren't going to give without a chance. I've been saying it all week. Um, Mike Frank's hit the nail on the head with a lot of things there. Um, but I think Derry definitely will have learned from the experiences of playing in the All Ireland semi-final last year. Whenever I thought they played really, really well in the first half. Um, they just didn't take their chances. Um, they're a more experienced bunch. Um, they're a better squad now, I think. Um, they've unearthed a couple of players and a couple of subs. The likes of Lachlan Murray, who can come on. He came on last year and got a goal um, against Coyle late in the game. I think he's a better player that can make an impact. And look, the likes of Christian McKeague and a few of these lads will know it's maybe their, their last chance maybe to get to an All-Ireland final. So look, they're going down quietly confident. Lock Kerry are obviously favourites, all Ireland champions, star started lineup, but um they're at three to one outsiders, I, I I give them more more than more than a chance than most. Yeah, Paddy, you felt like last year a lot of talk around Derry was that did they have the firepower up front to go on and, and, and to go all the way, basically maybe that was a question mark over it. Do you feel that Derry are in a better place now than they were at this time last year? I think they are, but look, a lot of hinge in the performance you've already mentioned of Shane. Um, you said yourself, actually, he's one of the top forwards in the game, he's top scorer. Um, probably been off the boil in the last couple of weeks, but that's grand. 
Um, he hasn't been playing his best, um, but he's going to get. You know, he's, he's going to be double teamed, triple teamed. Um, I think you know Sunday's going to see the best of him, um, but he is going to need a, a bit of a support cast, like uh, Mike Frank again mentioned the, the carry forward line. You know, if you tie up Clifford in any way, you know he's got four or five others to do the jobs. So we're going to need Derry, the likes of Niall Lockham here. I know he's a very very talented footballer uh, and is well able for scoring. Like in club football around here in Derry, um, Niall Lockham. He, Scoring regularly, um, Paul Casty is another player who's you know really really burst onto the scene. Came alive this year. He's got pace to burn. Ethan Doherty, another one. We're going to need these guys to step up and really help Shane in terms of putting putting scores on the board. I also agree with Mike Frank in the fact that they are going to need to hit two, maybe three goals to win this game. But I do think they have the ability to do that. Um, one thing that has impressed me about the Derry team in the last two or three years is whenever there's a 50-50 chance of a goal at all, they go for it. Like There's no such thing as uh, take the easy option and pop the ball over the bar. If they think there's any way of engineering a goal at all, they're always trying to go for that. And you know, If they do, goal chances do arise at the weekend or 50-50 chances for goals do arise at the weekend, Derry are going to have to be clinical and going to have to put them away. This is the thing, Mike Frank, as well, about this Derry team. The carry you're going to have to match, I guess, is, is work rate. Um, and certainly against Tyrone, you could see it, Tyrone's energy sapped as the game wore on and Kerry's work rate was very high. Um, but even in the Derry-Cork match, albeit it probably wasn't as convincing as, as Derry would have liked, but still it's not an quarter final that got over the line, did the job, and it was a bit of a swirling breeze in Croke Park that day as well. Uh, like That intensity, that work rate, that's something that, that Kerry are going to have to match because you know the Derry are going to bring it. Yeah, absolutely. Especially around the centre of the field with uh, the two boys, Connor Glass and Brendan Rogers. You know, most midfielders have one runner and one fella sitting, but the two lads, they are going up, they're scoring, they're just relentless. They're fabulous footballers, two boys, and they're so adaptable. You could play them in the forward, you could play them in the half back. So, Jim O'Connor and Jack Barry are going to have to put in two massive shifts and a big, big task ahead of them with the two boys because they can break lines and they're a threat going forward as well, you know. But work right around the middle is going to be key, absolutely. And Paddy, like it's not just Shane McGuigan, I guess that that Terry have to, or that Kerry have to be wary of. You even see at the, the in the Cork match, Paul Cassidy popping over with a number of, of lovely points. Uh, even the way they reacted to the Cork goal, Conor Doherty comes straight up the pitch and, and and gets a goal back. There are a lot of talents in this in this Derry team that I guess Kerry have to be wary of. And the other thing is, and, and Ashley mentioned it, like you probably are in a better position than last year, even from a strength and depth perspective. Like maybe there, there's a couple of lads now coming off the bench that. Maybe last year you looked at one or two players, but there seem seem to be more talent coming off the bench than last year. Yeah, look, one of Derry's strengths is um, they're attacking from deep. Um, you mentioned Connor Doherty gets goal the last day. He also got a goal against Donegal, obviously in Ballybuffet. Gareth McKinnis a goal that day too. Paddy McGrogan, like them three boys in particular, coming from the half back line. Uh, along with Conor McCluskey give Gary serious impetus from the back um, it's been well documented the strengths of, of Brenton Rogers. obviously he's been let off the leash this year going out to midfield um, like, even from a Donegal point of view we try to set up you know, obviously to, to try and stop Brenton but he's so so hard to, to defend against he breaks lanes he makes ground he sucks men in and offloads ball shooters or he's well able to take a shot himself like how many times have we not seen Brenton Rodgers and this is something I wouldn't have you know put him down for as being a long distance shooter but you know in this championship alone he's maybe kicked 6 or 7 points from you know 45 yards or beyond a key player for Derry at the weekend for me is going to be Kieran McFall um 
obviously Kieran missed the start of the championship when he was in America they're playing him in there in corner forward and he's sort of been given a free role but to me a lot of the football he's played has been on the periphery has been on the fringes to me Derry need to become a central figure before he went to America last year he was centre half back you can't disrupt how things were going in that defence because you know that's probably man for man it's as good a defence as there is in the country but I think Kieran McFall if we put him at 11 and try and put a lot of ball through him like Derry can't go into containment mode here at the weekend I think at times they're going to have to defend with 15 men but at times they're going to have to keep the, the, the Kerry defenders honest keep Shane McGuigan posted high up the field and maybe try and post Kieran McFall at 11 and play as a link and try and get early ball into the two men because you know if Derry go into containment mode with 15 men behind the ball yes they'll make it very very hard for Kerry but I think Kerry being as, as experienced and as good a football as they are we'll, we'll figure that out and it'll just be death by a thousand cuts so I would like to see Derry in the early stages say maybe post men a wee bit higher the likes of Kieran McFall Shane McGuigan and try and go at Kerry early doors And Paddy one thing that Derry will do is obviously Oren Lynch will, will come out that could be a very risky thing against Kerry having the likes of David Clifford, Sean O'Shea, the speed that they have to get in behind. Yeah, and I suppose if you remember back to last year's All Ireland semi final, he was caught out of goals a few times too. But in fairness to Oren, like he's not, you know, he wasn't a keeper to begin with. He's he's, he's not orthodox, but I think he's had a really really good season and he's developed particularly, you know maybe from the conference maybe saving them penalties for example on the Ulster final um, I had a question to him coming out the field as much as he has done because I thought at times he looked a bit jittery even in that Ulster final early on in the game I thought Armagh nearly you know, had him turned over two or three times but the more the season went on he's looked very much composed but you're right like, you know, all oh, it takes is one slip up here and the likes of the carry forward line will obviously punish you so you know, as I said earlier on they're going to need to get two or three goals themselves and they're going to have to keep the goals right from the carry point of view Shawnee O'Shea has been brilliant as well this year Mike Frank um, really picking up the flack and, and, and popping over scores for this Kerry team it's hardly surprising when you see the accuracy of, of, of him but how important has he been to Kerry this season? Great link man you know, he, was, he came under a bit of pressure after Munster Championship against Mayo uh, his form dipped a bit and uh, the link from the half forward line to David Clifford maybe one there that day but in the, he's really picked up now against Laos and Tyrone Lester he's really uh, seems to be a different player, more energy, and they'll need that again Sunday because uh, he's going to have to be tracking, he's going to, have to be linking the play. So, yeah, uh, and at times they put him into the full forward line as well the last day, so uh, it's just something that he's played inside over these clubs. So, he's played inside with David Clifford as well as a scorer. Um, a lot of people around the country would see him as a link in the half forward line, but he's well able to sit uh, post up in the full forward line as well and play inside with David. But, yeah, playing well. So, you look. One four is very hard to do on his own. So look, Kerry have two or three, and I think you need that to, to, for you get in the championship, you know. But yeah, hopefully Shawnee continue that now Sunday, you know. Before we get your predictions, I should ask you, Paddy, about the the year just gone with, as you mentioned, with, with Donegal. I know you're in the part of the management team with um, well with Paddy Carr, who, who of course stepped away, and then Aidan O'Rourke. It was it was a funny year in in, in Donegal. But how, how do you feel off the back of it now? Because I guess. There, were, there was just a lot of complications for, for, for you lads as a coaching team when you, when you see what happened across the year. I look, probably a lot of internal issues, challenging enough. Um, look, as a management team, we tried to not let that affect the dressing room. There's probably no doubt that it did in some small part, but probably the biggest barrier to success we've only all this year was, was the amount of injuries we had and the amount of men that opted out of the panel for different reasons. I think I said the other day, uh, from the team that played... Derry in the, in the group stages compared to the team that played Derry in the Ulster final last year there was maybe 9 or 10 men missing and there's no county 
can withstand that loss of players. And the good thing about Donegal, we went a bit of a run, we restored a bit of a pride maybe throughout the, the qualifier series. I was very, very disappointed with how it ended against Toronto. I just, I just felt we were very, very poor on the night, and sometimes that happens. But they did nurse a few players, um, the likes of uh, Keelan McCoggan. Uh, Mark Kern, Rory O'Donnell, obviously Oshin, Oshin Gallon got a full year under his belt, injury free. And if they are fit to get in, the players that are injured, the likes of the Michael Langans, the Jason McGee, the Owen McFadden Ferries, Potter Muggins, the two O'Donnells that went to America, Ryan McHugh, like Donegal would be in a very, very healthy position moving into the next season. It's a strange. It's a strange county in the sense that um, we even spoke to Davy Burke about this. Like Roscommon, for example, fans absolutely love their football. In Donegal, it's like fever pitch, isn't it? It's on another level. You've got the radio stations, and I think you've referenced this before. The radio stations, the newspapers, the local uh, columnists, like everyone having their say. So there seems to be a, mag- a magnifying glass on Donegal football every year. There's a lot of pressure. Yeah, look to their credit, the Donegal people are mad about the football, uh, and I get that. Um, and look, in terms of myself and Aidan, two outsiders coming into the county, the sport we received was phenomenal. I must say, the sport, the sport at the matches was brilliant. Like even in the bad times, and you know, throughout the national league campaign, the people that were coming to support the team, and even coming after the game to the players, and that to keep the head up, they're brilliant people. Um, that's just the warmth of Donegal people that you know everybody's well aware of. But as you say, there's just so much scrutiny in the players that sometimes, you know, it's, it's a wee bit unhelpful. It's like that. I'm not used to it here in Derry. Like we have one one paper, the County Derry Post. We don't need them on a radio station. Whereas if you go to Donegal, you boost your FM, you find on radio, you have the Donegal Democrat, the Donegal Times, and they show all these different papers and all these different columnists. And it's, as you say, it's nearly as if everybody has an opinion. Everybody has a different opinion, and and that can be a challenging enough uh, environment for players, you know, to, to, to sort of prepare them. But the players, in fairness to them, try and you know not. Picked that on board, but this year, just given all the, the all the other stuff going on in the background with the county board, with the academy, it was just a very, very challenging year. And I'm sure it's one of the players that begin to sort of put behind them, and they'll be wanting to regroup and, and restart off and try and get everybody back rolling the one direction again next year. Lads, prediction time. Um, we'll, we'll go to you, Mike Frank, first. Uh, who are going to be the two All Ireland finalists? I guess uh, is the question at the end of this weekend. Uh, well, you, you'd like Kerry to be there anyway, but um, <laughs> a tough semi-final coming up for sure. Um, I think Kerry will try to get ahead early and set the, the, the terms of engagement, but Derry will be trying to keep it tight, I think. You're 60, 65 minutes. And then I'd be worried, to be honest, if it's tight because Brendan Rodgers and Conor Lass are such good footballers, they will maybe need one opening. Mm. and they could protect that lead then but I think you have to look at Kerry's bench then if, it get, if it's tight and it's going down the stretch for 60-65 minutes Tony Brosnan's and these guys you know so look I'm just I think Kerry by two or three points but I'd be expecting the bench to get us over the line that's hopefully and will, it be, will it be Dublin or Monaghan playing them in the final? Uh, Dublin you would think but uh, I think a very tough semi-final coming up there as well uh, in the three, last four competitive games they've beaten three or four times but Dublin looked ominous against Mayo so you, you would have to fancy Dublin but uh, maybe just about Paddy you're going along similar lines here or are you going to you going to change no, it up no I'm, I'm going to you're going to say it's my heart around the head here but I, I'm going to go for a, a shocking guy to win this one by the smallest of margins unlike uh, what Mike Frank says I think they're going to come out of the blocks early here and try and get a bit of a lead they're, they're good front runners um, whenever they do get a lead they tend then to suck teams on and hit them in the break um, I think look, in terms of defensively I think they match up really well against the carry forwards there's no doubt that carry forward on their on their day 
and clean anybody. But I just think they will be defensively sound. I think a lot will hinge on the performance of obviously Shane McGuigan, Kieran McFall up front. But I think the likes of Paul Cassidy and Ethan Doherty provide lots of pace, um, with pace coming from deep. Obviously, the likes of Glass coming late from midfield, uh, Britton Rogers. I think we have the ability to get goals, and I think we will go into an early lead, and I'm hoping we'll hold, hold on to it. And uh, in terms of the Dublin Monaghan game? Look, it's, it's very hard to look past Dublin. They were awesome in the second half of the last day. And they were, I really enjoyed that game. In the first half, it was nip and tuck, two teams going hammer and tongs. But the way Dublin just bossed in the second half, just to me, it looks as if they're coming into form at the right time and expect them to win that game. Hopefully, hopefully two cracking semi finals regardless. Listen, lads, thanks many for hopping on. Mike Frank Russell there. Two legendary forwards of the game, Mike Frank Russell, yep. Kerry Ford and Paddy Bradley, obviously formerly Derry. And Paddy, should mention as well, has teamed up with AIB ahead of the All-Ireland Football Championships this weekend. For updates on the match, exclusive content and behind-the-scenes action from the Football Championship, follow AIB GA on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. The comments are coming in as well, Ash, on the on the matches. Um, someone says PWGC says, People of North pronounce Fionn as Finn. The rest of Ireland pronounce it Fionn. Shows how location affects how Irish names are pronounced. I've always said... Fionn, I'm from... Fionn. Yeah. Yeah, I would always say Fionn. Yeah, I don't think... I, I, like, I'm from Monaghan and I would always say Fionn, so I don't know if that... I do find there's definitely different names. Like, I mentioned Rory and Rory. I I rarely meet anyone up north with Rory. Yeah, so I was yeah. Rory. And then Cahill and Cahill. Yeah. But it's spelled the same way. What what, what way do you say that? Cahill. Cahill. But I yes, haven't yeah. met anyone up north that's not Cahill. I always say Cahill. I'm the only person in the office who, when Cahill Milani comes in, I call yeah. him Cahill, and everyone's like, it's Cahill. I'm like, Jesus, I have to bend my mouth to say Cahill. Yeah, like, I tough. honestly have to think when Colm's friend is called Cahill and <laughs> I always think about it before I say it. The same with Rory because yeah. I'd always go Rory and they're like, it's Rory. Yeah, you have to change yeah. it up. It's, mm. it's not an easy one. Um, keep the comments coming in the ma- two matches. How do you see these two games going? Like, Are you going by the by the book? Kerry um, Dublin? Yeah, I, I think... T- yeah, yeah, I think my head is saying Kerry Dublin, but if there's an upset, I yeah, I think it's in the Derry Kerry game. You know, that's a really good point by Paddy there that, you know, Derry did get these leads. They used to come out of the blocks flying yeah. and get these early leads. Didn't see it in the last game, but maybe that is going to be a tactic and I think if they're going to be Kerry it has to be. It really does. But yeah, the likes of the midfield is probably the big battle. Brendan Rodgers going to midfield. Paddy mentioned it there, like what a change that has made to this team, you know, the firepower. So yeah, I think it'll be close, but yeah, if there was going to be an upset, I'd say it in that game, but I can't see it happening. No, uh, I'm like a lot of people are heading, I know a lot of Monaghan fans are heading to Crow Park with, it's not just hope, there's a little bit of expectation in there, which I like to see. Of course, like there's, they there's, did there's, phenomenal. There's a, there's a chance that Monaghan, like, again, I, I don't know if Monaghan will be front runners as such, but certainly if they can keep the game tight, you know, get to 50, 55 minutes with the game fairly even, yeah. even a couple of points in it, and then you spring lads on the bench, because Monaghan this year have a better bench than they would have had last year. That's kind of been ignored by a lot of factors in the media and pundits as well in the build-up they're all like oh look at Dublin's bench Monaghan's bench isn't half bad coming off the bench if you have yeah. Sean Jones bringing energy Kieran Hughes coming off the bench Conor McManus will be coming off the bench as well like they've got Does some he talent start there. or not I yeah. know this was the chat yesterday with Nathan and I just think he has to keep doing the role he's doing I think I, I it's too effective yeah. and I think it's they're doing it for a reason they're not going to change it up now they're in the All-Ireland semi-final yeah I think Vinnie Corey, it was ballsy for him to yeah. do that. To obviously, club made everything. He's been there with him, and he's the first one to drop him really at championship. Yeah, but it's working so so well. 
and I understand the danger of, of you could say oh he's, what if what if Monaghan aren't in the game you know if you leave him on the bench and then at you know 40 45 minutes you bring him in but Monaghan are already basically have the game lost there is a risk there but I think yeah. Monaghan will trust themselves if any Corey will trust these players to to still be in the game by that point so then you're springing McManus on the bench doing what he does and and a fresh pair of legs come off the bench and who knows? And the buzz that brings in Crow Park oh. and it'll lift the energy. And tactically, I think Vinnie Corey is really, really sound. Like he yeah. is really, really good. We've seen it throughout the, the championship. So I think there's a good plan in place there. Maybe they might play a bit safe to begin with. And yeah, maybe yeah. bring him off the, the bench well. then when they need it. I don't know how many Monon fans. I th- I'd say you'd probably have about 30 odd thousand Monon fans, half the county nearly. And Where are you uh, sitting? Uh, Hogan Lower. Oh so, God! Yeah, right in the I thick know, of it. Right in the thick of it. <laughs> but I know a lot of maybe me even down fans might support if they're staying on. Might support Monaghan. Yeah, sure. Me fans will be supporting Dublin. Uh, me fans yeah. supporting Dublin. <laughs> Not oh a my chance. goodness! Not a chance. Yeah, like definitely that's true. There will be like everyone loves the underdog. Completely. You know yeah, they yeah. do, and that's what sports about. We live for the underdog coming out on top. I think so. Exactly. Yeah, there'll be lots of support there. Don't worry, Shane. Big we'll time. have a great day in Crow Park. That's either good way, to hear. good to hear. We'll look at the uh, Tatton Cup in further detail now because we have Danny Hughes, former Downstar and former Mead footballer Mickey Burke on the line now as well. Morning Danny, morning Mickey. Morning. Thanks, morning. For, thanks for having on lads. Uh, Danny, why start with yourself? We were we were chatting to Colin McGinn um, a little bit earlier, Ashley's, Ashley's fella here, <laughs> about, the, about the atmosphere in Down. Uh, I guess after the semi-final and, and when you put eight goals past anyone, albeit uh, a leash team that just didn't perform in the day, the hype train is going to really take off. Yeah, and I think, I suppose, from that game, um, I'm not sure if it was a, it was an accurate, uh, how would you say it? Uh, well, Leash, I think going into the game, Leash had beaten a couple of teams for mana and stuff, and I felt they would obviously put up a, a better showing for themselves. But I think I don't think it was a true refraction of Leash, and obviously the game was over after, what, 10 or 15 months, so... It was uh, it was very very hard on Leash, very hard on Billy Sheen himself, and obviously he he felt after the game. Obviously he's quit there as manager, so um, it gives you an indication probably how how bad Leash were and how poorly they performed. And Down were absolutely brilliant on the day. They were very very mobile and they took their goal chances. And that's the one thing with Conor Laverty's teams, and the one thing that has you know that kept them in the league right up until the last day was the fact that. They could get goals, and they're very, very strong, very mobile. And if they get a half a sniff at all, they'll go for the goal. They'll not, they'll not take the point. So, you know, I suppose it's, it'll be interesting to see how Meath set up. If they're as open as they were against Antrim, I can only see one winner, and that's, I suppose, and that's going to be down. It's funny, Danny, as well, because even though, and this might sound ridiculous to say, even though they scored eight sixteen at a twenty-two point win, Conor Laverty seems like such a perfectionist that that even conceding two goals and twelve points against Leash will it will have pissed him off a little bit. It would, and and that's just the way he is. And I suppose when you were looking at it, when you look at how far they were in front, he would have won to beat them by thirty or forty points because that's just I suppose when you're at that level to concede that. They seed the two twelve or whatever they did. It was really in the latter end of the match when you were rolling people off the bench and stuff. And uh, it was obviously a good opportunity for subs to come on to Croke Park, get their first experience of it, which many of them were, and and perform. And perhaps with those changes uh, enforced or not, then you would have been disappointed maybe with with one or two of the players that were introduced that didn't do their jobs. You know. 
Yeah, just on that point, Danny, like I looked at Connor's reaction when Leash got their first goal and then went up the pitch on the next attack and got a goal back. And his reaction on the sideline was probably the, the most reaction I've seen from him throughout the whole game. You know, they'd scored eight goals, but mm-hmm. when they got that eight goal, because they had cancelled out Leach's goal, like he was fired up and he was, you know, screaming at the defence that they did well. I think that tells you probably a lot about Conor Laverty too. Yeah, it does. Um, listen, uh, with the experience of Kilku behind, uh, behind him, Obviously, there's a there's a fair raft of the players on the panel as well from Kiku that won an All Ireland Club title. So there isn't a perfectionist element there, and you don't win an All Ireland Club title if there's not that uh, kind of um, character and approach to the game where everything has to be perfect. And uh, suppose you're you're dealing at the very very top level. These guys know these guys know what it takes to to close out a game to send a message out there and certainly down I would hope that yes they sent out a message but they will know that against me given that they played them in the league there um, they kicked 16 or 17 wides um, no sorry they didn't play them in the league they played them in the uh, in the group stages mm. in Parnell Park uh, they will understand that this will be a very very different game and it's a very different occasion as well Mickey, that a lot was made of that game. Uh, I suppose in the build-up to this one, a uh, two-point win for me, one eleven to one nine in Parnell Park, and a lot was made, as Danny said, about the the wides, the seventeen wides from down. But I guess the point is, and a couple of the down players mentioned this during the week, those weren't just wides from anywhere. They were as a result of the Meath defending because they pushed them out into areas beyond the scoring zone. So clearly, the Meath defending worked that that day against down, and it's going to have to be equally as good this weekend. Yeah, I think. Everything that Danny said there is very accurate and very fair. Um, I suppose as a county, we were probably very slow to maybe adapt to defensive systems and shape like that. And there was a lot made of it when we played particularly Dublin in the league this year in Navin. We were very, uh, the full back line were very isolated and maybe open. So um, a lot of work has been done on our defence. And I suppose the down game in Parnell Park was the first day where you could really see that, where we, where we tried to get a lot of numbers back behind the ball. Um, down still had a lot of wides, but I think that was due to maybe Paul Garrigan's influence there, and you know what I mean. Um, his coach and methods trying to get more bodies back. I think that's just the way the modern game is, and it's a work in progress for us as a county. Really, the whole thing is a work in progress. It's a young side, but um, they're doing everyone proud in the Talchin Cup so far. Yeah, Mickey, it feels like it is a work in progress, and you look at it, the team; it's, it's very young. And there's some players that are coming onto the scene that are really players to watch out for, like the likes of Conor Gray there in the middle. What a footballer he is. And he's going to have a big say in midfield at the weekend. Yeah, I was really impressed, Ashling, with him actually in the in the semi-final. Just probably that old school mead midfielder who was probably not doing a lot of eye-catching stuff. He kicked a fabulous point in the second half, but just a lot of tackles, getting back, doubling up, getting hits in, winning primary possession and just shoveling it off very simply so I'm very excited him he's a pig pig mobile man I've, I've bumped into him a few times and um, he's definitely one one for the future and he's really impressing at the moment and we're going to need him at the weekend Yeah and there's probably there's a lot of competition in the middle as well for places you know with the likes of Jack Flynn is in there as well club mate of mine the likes of Dahi coming on, you've Ronan Jones. So there is a lot of competition and, and these are big lads, strong lads, probably a little bit different to to what Down have as well. Down are maybe a bit a bit smaller in that case. But I think Mead need to use their physicality, that's what they have. 
They do. I definitely think um, look down looked ex- extremely mobile in the leash game. Um, very, very slick. I think we have to pull numbers back behind the ball. I think we have to keep it tight. Um, definitely in the early stages of the game. Um, Jonesy there, another big man around the middle of the field. You probably want Donald Kyogen and Paul Karen and two very experienced players, like kind of man on the backs, you know, helping helping the younger guys out. We had regional trials in the county at the start of the year, and um, I suppose that the, the net was cast wide and far to try and look at every footballer from junior and intermediate level. And you know, lads, lads are on the bench there, like Michael Flood from from St Bridget's, probably not a, a, a club that have traditional meat footballers playing. Uh, Harry O'Higgins is there. He he's got the nod again for the weekend, uh, seemingly from the team that's been released. So there is a lot of a lot of younger players, and, and like I'm saying, it's a it's a completely new mead side. But we do have um, lads to come in off the bench who are not getting a run at the moment. Lads who would have been deemed the starters in the last few years, the like of Killian O'Sullivan and Don Lennon and these guys. So um, yeah, we we do we do have a good bench, and and uh, if it gets down to the latter stages, one thing we have is a bit of pace there on, on the on the bench to come on as well, and hopefully that might open things up for us. Danny, what's the um... What's the attitude to the Tatton Cup, towards the Tatton Cup being in, in down this year? Because I guess you look at the likes of Westmead winning last year and it was clearly a platform for them this year in the All-Ireland Championship, albeit they didn't get out of that group, but uh, put in you know a draw against Tyrone, pushed Armagh all the way, probably should have got a win or, or something out of that game at the very least. So I, I guess from a down perspective, is this seen as a, as a platform? I would definitely see it as a platform. It's a stepping stone. That's, you know, I suppose, as Mickey will tell you there, not somewhere that um, as a player you would ideally want to be. You want to be in the in the main championship, especially with the structure around the home and away and neutral fixtures uh, with the group stages. Obviously, you're playing more games the way the structure was as opposed to what we played in. Um, but, you know, for, from a personal perspective, the Talton Cup, the secondary competition, was never ever something I was enthused about. Um, funny, we were at a breakfast last Friday morning. There was a breakfast... Um, uh, for you know, together fundraising and stuff for the team, and there were seven hundred people uh, down supporters, businesses, and whatnot. And Jarvis Burns was, was uh, he was more or less saying the same that the secondary competition wasn't something that he felt uh, was a good idea at the time. But I suppose, given how it is taken off, given how Westmeath have progressed, particularly this year with it, um then I would say it's something that is definitely growing on me and growing on the wider participants in it, being me, me and down. But certainly uh, when you go back to 1991 and the repeat of that actual game and the whole buzz around probably both counties, I was, what, what age was I, about eight or nine years of age at the time. So it was, um, it feels, it definitely feels a bit different. Um, but in saying that, as you say rightly, it's a stepping stone and Meath showed the way. Well, sorry, Westmeath showed the way how they can build on it and, and develop, but that's, that's no guarantee. But it certainly, it gives them a certain um, certain entry into the, the main competition next year. Um, and that's a good thing for both sets of squads and both sets of players because, as we know, you know, even look at Calvin this year, um, there's probably favourites to, to win the competition along with Meath. Um, down being there as well and beating in the quarterfinals uh, you know absence of players and stuff um, so listen it's, 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 it's a stepping stone it's not ideal where we want to be we'd rather be in the semi-final with Monaghan uh, and Dublin tomorrow but it is what it is 
does feel that it's taken people a bit of time to come around to it. I still don't think everybody has came around to it. It's probably the feeling. Mickey, what do you think it's like in Mead? Are people backing it? I think it was probably slow, Ashling, at the start um, to, you know, even I actually met uh, Barry Callaghan uh, for a coffee. He just was in front of me at the very start. It probably was a week maybe after the Offaly game and spirits were probably were probably low as a snake's belly as a county at that stage. And uh, just asked him how was things and he was in front of me in the queue and he said, look, Mickey, uh, the Offaly game was was a low and look, this is not where we, where we really want to be, but it's where we are and we're going to do our best in it. And... I think the lads have shown that it's given us a bit of momentum. Um, we need games. They're, they're, the boys need games and need exposure to play in championship games. And it's amazing what a bit of confidence and a bit of momentum can do. Um, like Danny rightly said there, look at Westmead this year. Um, I've got a bounce off it. But um, hopefully Mead, Mead supporters will come out on, on, on Saturday and, and cheer the lads on. It's bringing back memories of 91. Like I said, I was like Danny said, I was too young for that as well, really. But... Um, both, both very traditional counties and both counties that love football and um, I suppose it's very important for both counties to try and get a win. Danny, the the, the pace in this down team is, is one thing that's been that's been focused on a lot in the build-up and rightly so. I, like, uh, And this is this is the thing as well. I, at the average age of the team, I, I don't know what it is, but a lot of the players seem to be 23, 24. The average age is probably as low as a snake's belly, as Mickey might say. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you compare Mickey? Say that again, Danny. Are you comparing Mickey to a snake? <laughs> would never do that. I would never no do that. Chance. I'm just going to use that phrase in my everyday life. Now, as low as a snake's belly, I've never heard it before. Uh, but it, that is, that is something that we should focus on, Danny, isn't it? The, like the youth in this team, and we we mentioned earlier in the show, Connor Laverty, I guess, has has brought a lot of these lads through from twenties and. There is that youth, and I guess relative inexperience of playing in Croke Park is one way to look at it, but also just the absolute confidence of youth. Yeah, absolutely, and and there's a there's freedom with with how when young guys come into the squad, I've seen it over the years, and this, and then think back to me coming in at twenty years of age. There's a freedom, and there's a you don't you don't worry as much about what people think. You don't worry as much about your performances, and it's a freer performance uh, in, a, in a large way, especially people that's just onto the panel. They're really nothing to lose, and it's about making a name for yourself. Um, and that's from a personal perspective. Now. Um, down, you know, you have the crux of a a large number of players that are on the panel have been there last year in bits and pieces, maybe the year before in bits and pieces on the potty tally. So there is a bit of experience there in terms of the, they know what it's like to be at that top level and um, that elite level, what the environment's like, what is expected. Um, and obviously you have the experience now, the Kilku players that are, have joined uh, have thrown their lot in with down now so you know Kilku would have in the past uh, it would have been said that they would have viewed their setup as equally as professional as any county setup so you know with that in mind um, there's certainly a, there, there's a quiet confidence and there's a quiet bit of uh, experience there that's been developed over the last number of years subtly um, so the pace is a massive thing for me, um, they're going to have to close down the spaces of Croke Park if they're going to make sure they don't get the goal down. will play in very, very small pockets. They've nippy uh, forwards and backs that will play between the lines. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're playing between the lines, it can be very hard to break down, particularly in Croke Park. So uh, 
while Meath will have the physicality, they'll have the, the size there. Um, it's whether they have the mobility to stay with, with the down team, the down, particularly the down defence, who will end up popping up at the full forward line at times. Like Caelan Doherty may well start a centre-half back, but he'll certainly not play there, I wouldn't think. He will play full forward, half forward, midfield at times. <laughs> um, he's, not a, he's not a huge guy, but he's a very, very mobile guy. So um, you, you'll have you'll have all those type of switches going on. And as well as Meath can make sure that there's no confusion there. Because even against Antrim, they were a wee bit leaky at times. And if Antrim had to get their last pass right, uh, they, you know, they could have had one or two more goals. So um, that, I think Meath are going to have to work very, very hard to close down the spaces to ensure that Down uh, don't get a run and those wee ticky-tacky passes that, that can, can create goal opportunities uh, aren't prevalent throughout. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Meath set up. I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to that because Colm would have been very much along the line of a, a traditional way, get the ball forward, kicking the ball forward. So it'll be interesting to see how he kind of tries to negate the, the pace that Down play with. Mickey, I did a preview night last night with uh, Keen Ward and Tommy Dowd and Tommy was just speaking about the, the bond with Meath and Down and what it was like for them when they were playing maybe through the, the 90s and the early 2000s. And I sort of felt it as well like when I moved up to Down that there was this bond, you know, people would stop you and tell you about the, the teams and the battles through the years. I don't know if it's something that you felt with the teams in your years with Meath. I, I spent uh, a couple of games trying to run after this lad on the line before and Marty Clark and a couple of them. That was about the only bond now. I was trying to, I was trying to get, a hand, get, get, a, get a hand on them. But uh, no, they're, they're a county that I definitely would respect from afar and would have a lot of time for. Um, you know, even though, like I said, I was a bit young for 91. Um, I do have very vague memories of it and, and reading up about it and uh, hearing the old stories and that. But uh, to be a county that I would have huge respect for and they have huge tradition like ourselves. Um, so it's going to make, like I said, Danny's he's been very honest there and he's he's been very truthful. And uh, I think it's very accurate. Um, I think if we... If Colm is trying to play a very traditional game at the weekend, I think we could be in trouble. It'll just feed into Downs. Down will get plenty of bodies back. And if we're looking for long, accurate kick passes into the full forward line, early doors, I just think that's just that's going to fuel them with so much energy. And um, I, I, I really do hope we, we, we put plenty of men back behind the ball uh, and stay in this game for as long as we can because down are looking very impressive but one thing I will say is that we won't fear down as a county mead will not fear down and, and it's vice versa as well down won't fear us so it's it's very uh, it's it, it's an interesting game but it's going to be tough for us to, to get over the line and I think that's just that's, that's just I think honest. I think Mead's forward line is going to obviously it's going to dictate a lot I think they have a very very strong full forward line there are guys that, that are really really good footballers um, and it's a, if they can get the ball into their early into the down into the down full back line and, and obviously the me full forwards. I think the that if down don't have men filtered back, those Meath guys um Meath guys can do damage because you know, it's just going on the Anthem game as again. Um I think it was almost a wee bit easier for, for me at times, um, getting the ball in so quickly that they wasted a few chances. But if they waste those chances against down I think that could come back to bite them. So it's about efficiency and attack, I would say, um, with that me full forward line as much as anything else. If they, 
if if they don't take their chances or they give away the ball when down swarm them, then uh, again that's something Meath will uh, might come back to haunt them. Yeah, hopefully. Above all, I just hope it's a great advertisement for the Tottenham Cup. I'd love a really, really cracking game, high score and tight. And I feel like it's going to be that. Um, even when you see like a young forward like Liam Kerr in the down team scoring a few goals the last day, I think he's only 23 maybe. And similarly on the Meath side, the likes of Jordan Morris, similar age as well. Like So exciting to see these players in a, in a, in a final of this magnitude for them. Because I know it's not the final that maybe down and Meath fans would want to be in, but it's still silverware in Croke Park. At the end of the day, um, how do you lads see it? Final predictions here. Might start with yourself, Danny. I think I think down. I think will uh, down will win based on based on I suppose a wee bit of nostalgia, <laughs> 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 um, based on the fact that Ashley probably uh, supporting me. So. <laughs> yes, Danny, you have that right. <laughs> <laughs> Right, okay. Right. <laughs> Connor, uh, Connor, in this instance, but no, I think I think he'll be I think he'll be smiling over the weekend. I think I think Down will I think Down will win the game because they they have a brilliant knack at the minute to getting goals, and I think goals are going to decide this contest. Um, but listen, me me me, they're very very strong. Um, definitely very very strong around the middle I think they're going to need their physicality there but uh, in the world obviously I can't I can't go against my own county so I know Miguel <laughs> probably me but hopefully I'll see him I'll Mickey. see him uh, in any regard <laughs> yeah, yeah look I won't back against my own county either I really hope the lads do it um, obviously look there's still a few good mates of mine in there and I'd love to see Donald Keoghan and James McIntyre Porrick Harn and all them boys uh, getting a bit of success for all their years Um but like I said, it's going to be very, very tough on us. If we, but I really hope that we get plenty of men back behind the ball at regular stages and try and hit down on the counter. I think it's going to be down or very pacey, very athletic. And um, look, if it gets down the home straight, like I'm saying, we, we, the Mead boys won't fear down. We won't fear them at all. So um, I'm hoping for, I'm hoping that it's going to be a day for the green and gold. Mm-hmm. Brilliant stuff, lads. Both going with the with, with your own county. You can't back against your own county. That's fair. And the same for Manly against mm-hmm. Dublin tomorrow. Rightly or wrongly, you can't back against them. Uh, but listen, lads, thanks a million for hopping on this morning, Danny and Mickey. Thank you. Thanks, thanks lads. Good stuff, lads. Danny Hughes, former Downstar, and Mickey Burke, of course, formerly with Mead as well. How are you calling it? Like a, again, <laughs> where a lot, where a lot of us are involved, our counties are involved in a lot of these games. This is yeah. funny. So, are you going with me? I'm going with me because I'd absolutely love love to see them do it and that's a good point that Mickey made there at the end that some of those lads that have been around a long time mm. the likes of Donald Keoghan Killian O'Sullivan Donald Lenehan this would be incredible for them to get a bit of silverware you know there's young kids going to go to Crow Park at the weekend that have no idea if they're in the Sam Maguire or the Talton Cup and this yeah. could be a massive moment for, for me football to kick off again and to see them come back with the Cup everything would be incredible so I do think it could do a lot that's why I think the Talton Cup is brilliant and everybody should back it and get behind it so yeah I would love to see it from my own county it's, it's hard to look by down at the minute they're f- absolutely flying they're a great team to watch they're exciting 
you know, what Conor Laverty's done there has been incredible, like for such a short time. But he is bringing the under 20s with him, mm. um, which is good to see. And again, for them, it, it's it's a similar story, which is brilliant to, to see that the Talton Cup can do this for teams that were traditionally powerhouses of the game. And, you know, they've fallen off that over the last number of years. Yeah. So it could do a lot. But yeah, a mead win. But yeah, it, it's going to be a very, very tough one to get. Yeah. And it's one of those games as well. Sometimes the double headers in Crook Park aren't great but I think for a lot of Dublin and Mullen fans tomorrow they'll want to get in early to see this because mm. it will be a good game and, and like it's 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 not just one of those double headers that's thrown in and no. maybe you might, mightn't get the crowd on board but bums on seats will be there tomorrow for this game like yeah and they're well matched they really are the really young team getting to Crow Park is a big thing you know we've seen them there for the semi-finals that was the first time for a load of the lads mm. on both teams to get there so yeah, it'll be massive. I suppose the big question is who does Crow Park suit more as yeah, well? Yeah, you know that because even though down like it, probably the pace it does suit them, there is that relative lack of experience in Crow Park. Like down players for a lot of that down team, the Leash game was their first time playing yeah. in Crow Park. Other than Kilku lads that would have played there at the course, club, yeah. yeah. So it's, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. But but two very nicely matched teams, I think. Yeah, really um, looking forward to it. Now. Can't wait. Someone in the comments asks, uh, has anyone asked Ashley about Big Ange yet? Oh God, Ange! Can't even Sorry talk about Ange. I don't know if we brought up the last two. We might have done, but no, we never spoke about it. Yeah, yeah, it is um, probably a shock. But now we've Brendan Rogers back, yeah. and yeah, he we saw what he did when he left. So people are all back in Brendan Rogers. It's going to take me a bit of time. You know, I'm going to have to see a few results before I get on that train. Um, but yeah, definitely with with Ange, it was a lot of disappointment. Knew he was always going to go to the Premier League. That was an ev- inevitable, absolutely. Like any time we spoke, we always said he was going to go. But I didn't think it would be this soon. I thought there was another year. Yeah, I thought Champions League football do something there. Um, but yeah, it, you know, he obviously got a an offer he couldn't refuse. So nobody can, you know, judge him for that or you know go and take the money and yeah. He wants to be in the in the top league, and mm. th- at the minute that's the Premier League. So, yeah, um, good luck to him. But uh, yeah, definitely was annoyed at the time. Spurs fans excited, no doubt, to see what Ange Ball brings to. Yeah, uh, they don't know what London. they have. There's not been a, enough hype. Yeah. I'm like, you just got a lucky here. Yeah. <laughs> Once it all starts and the, they see the the style of play, I think they'll slowly come on board. Yeah. Or pretty quickly come on board rather. At uh, nine a.m. or nine oh one a.m. on this Friday morning's OTB AM, the sports breakfast showing off the ball with myself and Ashley and with you. Until 10 o'clock this morning, I should mention, Off The Ball is coming to the Cork Podcast Festival. Join us on Sunday, the 27th of August, in the Cork Opera House with special guest Jimmy Barry Murphy. More guests to be announced very soon, by the way. Don't miss out on a great night of conversation and crack in the heart of the Rebel County. For tickets, go to www.corkpodcastfestival.ie forward slash off hyphen the hyphen ball. Easy. Turn our attention to Camogie. Uh, We're joined on the line by Brian Dowling, who has just recently departed as the Kilkenny Senior Camogie Manager. Morning, Brian. How are things? Morning, lads. How are you doing? Keeping well. Thanks, Millie, for hopping on. Um, this was, was a tough decision, I'd imagine, after five years. Yeah, it was a tough decision. Um, I suppose I kind of decided to start the year that I'd give it one more one more year and whatever happened, won or lost, that i step away. But um, look, I suppose it was still a very tough decision there to, to fully confirm it on, on Tuesday. It wasn't easy and it's been a, it's been a strange week since, to be honest. When you look at the honours you've had as a manager, like so many titles, so much silverware, so many happy days to look back on. I'm sure there's disappointment after the the one point defeat to Cork last weekend, but um, a lot of really really happy days with this Kilkenny side. 
Yeah, there's a lot of happy days, but I suppose this week has been, you know, I'm probably thinking about the days that you, you left behind and the, the matches that we lost and stuff like that. And obviously, it's still very raw that, you know, after losing the other in the quarterfinal by a point on Sunday. So that's probably what's hurting the most at the moment. But um, look, I suppose in time, we'll look back and, you know, we were there as management group for four years and won two All-Ireland. So I suppose you offered me that and I went in, I would, would definitely have took it. So look, we, we have huge um, memories there and memories that will we'll live for, for the rest of our lives. Brian, I know I spoke to you after the game and you told me about the story of coming in in the first place, that it wasn't really on your mind to come in and you said no initially and then you decided no, actually, and you you rang Anne back and said, I'll come in. Yeah, I suppose Anne caught me on the hop. Um, she asked me to come involved as a, as a coach in 2019 and, you know, I think the phone call lasted about 45 seconds. I said no to Anne. Just wasn't on my radar. I didn't know anything about Camogie, to be honest. Um, but I'd watched the games and, you know, I'd seen the girls losing the finals in in 17 and 18 and I don't know something was just telling me that I had to give it a go and, and I rang on back and thankfully it was the, the option was still there and I went in 2019 and unfortunately didn't get over the line that year you know we lost three all Ireland finals in a row um, I suppose I'll never forget going back to the, the Red Cow Hotel that, that evening and you know everyone was just crying parents, players it was like these will never get over the line here and then Anne was after stepping away that day as well so look the opportunity came then to, to take it on as manager and I suppose you know, I couldn't walk away at that stage and, you know, I just decided to go back in as manager and thankfully things worked out well in, in 2020 then. Yeah, you said you didn't know much about Camogie, so that was the first time managing a women's team. What was that like? <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, I was never involved before. I was after doing a lot of underage coaching in my own club and in school teams and stuff like that. And I had been with Thomastown Intermediate Hurling team. So, look, it was completely different and I think it takes you a bit of time to adjust. Um you know, it's, it's, it's different type, type of management, different uh, way of dealing with players and stuff like that. But look, I have to say, I've, I've absolutely loved it. Um, I've lived the dream the last five years being involved with this group. They're, they're really special. Um, the effort that they put in um, has just been unbelievable. And, you know, thankfully they got the rewards because they didn't get them in, in 17, 18 and 19. And, you know, I suppose it was looking um, like they were never going to get there. And it was just when that final whistle went in 2020, I suppose everything was worthwhile and it was just huge relief. That must have been such a strange one, Brian, as well. That was the COVID All-Ireland in 2020 and nothing was was as per normal. Like You must think back and it, it almost must feel like a dream, the whole thing, because it was it was strange, but, but what an achievement at the same time. Yeah, it was really surreal. Um, but looking back, I, I probably think it was it was a good thing for us that, you know, the, the final was really low-key. Um, you know, we always go to DCU there in Drumcondra and I remember driving down, you know, we were kind of, we were going to get a guard escort, but we did, we actually we did get a guard escort, and I don't know why, because there was absolutely nobody on the streets. Um, the only person we saw walking in um, was Anne Downey. She was waving at the bus like a lunatic. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was it was just so weird. And we went out on the pitch for a walk around, and, you know, I, I remember saying to the players, that, like, you know, what's to be nervous about here? This is like playing a challenge match at home. There's nobody at it. You know, it was really weird. You could hear every sound in Crow Park that evening. And I just think it took the pressure off us because there was huge pressure on that final. Um, I think, I don't know where this team would have ended up. Um, I think it could have been the end of a lot of players if we lost that final. To lose four All-Irelands in a row, I just don't see how we could have come back from it. It just, um, I think it would have been too much. So, just, it was it was a strange one. I know, obviously, we didn't want COVID at the time. And it was strange with training. You know, you're watching yourself all the time. You know, you're dreading every phone call from the doctor. Where are you going to be having players pulling out and stuff like that? But luckily... We got over the line and it was brilliant. You must have been thinking, Brian, Jesus, this management crack is handy. You know, debut <laughs> season, All-Ireland, O'Duffy Cup in hand. Like, not a bad start. No, it wasn't a bad start, but I definitely didn't think it was handy. <laughs> um, you know, look, again, we, we played well in the final against Galway, but, you know, Galway are, are a super team. We'd have great battles with them over the 
the last um, number of years. And no, it was just, I said, it was just more relief. That fine was all about relief and just, just getting the job done and getting over the line, you know. And look, it was probably an anti-climax afterward. We, we had to leave the cup in Crow Park that night. Um, got a couple of drinks that, eat, that, that, that day on the way back from the bus that night. I think we got back to Kenya about three o'clock in the morning. And then the next day, I remember just meeting up the management group for something to eat and about three or four pints, and that was it. Um, that was the end of the celebrations because of COVID. So it was a it was a really strange one. Um, but look, I said we have we have great memories as well. Just on your your management team and the background team, tell us a little bit about them. Like there's a lot of All Ireland medals in there. You have Tommy Shefflin as well as in there, Henry's brother. So you you have a really strong background team. Yeah, look, she's a long have you got. I always say to the lads that, you know, the girls are easy to manage. It's the management team is, is my tough work. Um, no, look, I was absolutely blessed to get such experience. I was a relatively young manager going into an inter-county job. So the one thing I wanted was to get plenty of experience around me. And, you know, Ray Chandler was with me in 2019. So, he, he you know, he played at Ray stayed on with us as well. And then got Tommy in as the main coach. And look, Tommy's huge experience in Kilkenny. He's been with Bally Hale. He's been in Carrick Shock. And his record speaks for itself. You know, he's... Great energy, great driving. He's absolutely fantastic coach, and you know I got Pat, Pat O'Neill and, and Philly Larkin who both played for Kilkenny um, as well. Pat would have came in late in 2020, but and then Philly came in straight away as well. So you know, there's huge experience, and then Seamus Kelly came on board this year. So look, I had a brilliant backroom team. Um, you know, I was the, the youngest of the backroom team, which is strange for for a manager, but it was great to have that experience. And I suppose it kind of took the pressure off me in a way that I knew that you know I had that experience beside me, and that that helped a lot for me. I know you've been saying as well, Brian, that you've been thinking about walking away the last maybe year or two, but the homecoming you got after the, the All-Ireland last year maybe convinced you to stay on? Yeah, I suppose look, last year, you know, I, I don't know, in sports, kind of want to, to walk away when at the, at the highest moment. And, you know, but I suppose, you know, I just couldn't walk away last year. I just felt it was too good. Um, you know, so I mentioned a few times the homecoming was really special. The crowd that we had out that night um, on that Monday evening was was unbelievable, and just felt the support from the Kenny people was great. So you know, I just I just probably changed my mind and decided to go back. And look, I'm delighted I went back. And know we didn't win the All Ireland this year, but um, I think if I didn't go back last year, I'd have regrets the rest of my life, wondering you know would we have done it again? And I suppose look back to back was always there. It hasn't been done in Kenny in since 1991. So. But unfortunately, look, we didn't do it this year, and that's disappointing. But look, in time, I know that we'll we'll think of the, the good memories. Yeah, I know you said that you had reservations about taking the job. Do you feel that you've got more out of it than you ever thought you would? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Got so much out of it. Um, you know, I'm going to really miss it. Uh, just even going training and you know, just just connecting with the players. We had a great bond between management and players and. Look, that's probably one of the main reasons as well that kind of step away now is things are things are good, you know, even though we, we didn't win, but, you know, still a special bond with the players. And I think the longer you stay there, I suppose, maybe things start to, to, to drift away and stuff like that and maybe relationships start getting broken down. So, look, I want to kind of leave maybe when things are positive and, you know, and hopefully leave the Kenny Camogie in a good place. It's um, I guess it's emotional leaving a job like this, Brian, because it's not just the, the results or whatever, but it's the relationship you have with the players, like the... The dressing room moments, as Ashley said, it was your first time taking a camogie team, but I'm sure you've built up a rapport with uh, with, with the girls in this team that, that you'll never forget. No, look, it was extremely tough. Um, I, I probably wasn't going to do it this week. I just woke up Tuesday morning and it was in my head and I decided I was going to go. So I probably said, you know, why put it off any longer? But I, think I spent about 45 minutes, I had the WhatsApp message written out for group and I, I couldn't press send. I knew once that was sent, that was it. There was no going back and... Look, you're getting uh, messages from the girls there during the week, um, and it's really nice to, to get them. But it's hard to read them at times as well because you just know it's 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 all over now and stuff like that. So, 
look, I, I think it's the right decision um, to move on. I said I, I probably didn't think I was going to be here for, for five years. It's a long part of anybody's life. But look, I, I don't regret anything. Um, I have great memories for life. Um, my family have great memories as well. So I'm um, just very grateful that Kenny Camogie gave me the chance to, to look after this brilliant team. Yeah, and I think one thing that we talked about as well, Brian, is the tragedy that has gone on in Kilkenny and sport really can help in those times and, and you spoke about that as well, how you were really all there for each other throughout that. Yeah, look, last year was really, really strange, I suppose. Um, on the field, things weren't going great and off the field, we'd, we'd tragedies. You know, obviously, Tommy's brother Paul passed away suddenly. Um, my own uncle passed away in, in a house fire just before that as well and a couple of girls lost their, their grandparents. It all just seemed to happen in the space of six weeks. Um, but look, we really, I know we did, the two Dive sisters were after doing a cruise shit in that time as well. So it just seems to be everything was going wrong. But um, we just, you know, the girls said fighting and we really backed each other and we just galvanised around each other and we drove it on. I suppose it, it made it really special last year when we won the All-Ireland. Um, you know, all them people were, were in our thoughts when we won. And, you know, it wasn't easy during the year, but um, definitely Camogie definitely helped us through those tough times. Um, a lot has been made this year, Brian, about the the LGFA and Camogie Association and, and the protests and calls for a player charter and, and, and I guess equality with, with the male players and, and we've seen the protests before before matches in both the Camogie and the ladies football has this been an issue that's kind of permeated into, into your dressing room across the year because it's, it's clearly an issue that needs addressing Yeah look I suppose it's not really a huge issue from Kilkenny side of view you know I must say we're extremely well looked after in Kilkenny um, you know the, our county board is super led by Theresa Edwards you know everything the girls get or everything we look for, we, we get it within reason. Um, you know, we, we have um, strength and conditioning coaches there, um, by some Bravo Fitness, you know, the girls have access to the three gyms, Springhead Court Hotel, TJ Reid came on board this year as well, offering offering his services to the gym and Bravo Fitness gym as well. Um, we have dietitians, we have physiotherapists, you know, we get food after every training, um, you know, food before and after matches. So we're extremely well looked after. So the big thing for me is the, the mileage expenses. You know, we'd have a lot of people seven or eight hours there during the year travelling down from Dublin and you know I think they get about 800 euro at the end of the year and that's it um, our county board do try and help out but the money just isn't there for that so that's a big thing um, that you know probably has to change that the mileage expenses where the money's going to come from I don't know um, you know Matthew Toomey said it I think to yourself Ashton there after the match on Sunday that um, you know it's about uh, supporters coming into the matches um, I've said that for, for a while as well I 100% agree you know, how many people are at the match on Sunday, especially females, and we actually went into the Camogie match on Kilkenny, you know, there's no point um, having to go on social media at this, you know, people have to go to matches, that's where the revenue will start, and, you know, if people go to matches, there'll be more revenue there to uh, just, you know, to give to the girls, I suppose, for expenses, so that's something that we would love to see change, and that, you know, we, we play a championship match there, and in semi-final, you might have two or three thousand at it, that's it, you know, so I really think we need to try work on getting more people into Camogie matches. It's about respect for the players, isn't it, too, Brian? Like you talk about the mileage expenses, the the dual player also. Like it's a dying art form, the dual player, but it still exists. And and clearly, even the likes of Kelly Comfort on your own panel, like I think she's spoken before about you know how it's almost impossible now to be a dual player because you even at club level, she I remember her talking about playing a maybe a club quarter final in Hurling or Camogie at say eleven a.m. and then a football match at at five p.m. the same day. It's just impossible. Like these players aren't respected. Yeah, no, look, um, so we don't have to deal with dual stars too much in Kilkenny. Uh, luckily <laughs> yeah. enough, it's one of the issues not on, on top of my list. But look, I see what's happening in Cork there. And it's disappointing to see, you know, your players who are putting in such a huge effort, you know, the likes of Hannah Looney and Arla Catalan, Libby Coppinger, you know, super players, her, uh, camogie players and ladies footballers. And they have to choose which match to go to. You know, I, I don't know how you'd manage that. It'd be really, really difficult. Um, 
you know, and look, I suppose it's something that that has to that has to change. Um, look, whether this uh, merger is going to happen or the sorry, the, the, the association is going to come together, I don't know. Hopefully, it'll happen um, sooner rather than later. And Brian, what are you going to do now with all your free time? <laughs> uh, I'm under sevens. My two boys are under sevens there at Dane's Ford, so that's going to take my, my focus now for the next couple of weeks. Um, no, look, I don't know. Um, my time is finished in Camogie anyway for now. Um, I'm definitely looking to get back into the, the hurling side of things. Um, you know, I think I've managed the, the best team I can, the Kenny Camogie team, so I don't see myself going anywhere else in Camogie, uh, in the Camogie world. So, look, definitely looking back to get back into hurling if anything comes up. Um, I suppose I have to decide whether I'd like to get into management or or back into the coaching. You know, I love the hands-on approach of the of the coaching sessions. You know, and hand, um, getting involved in coaching. So look, I'll see what what comes around. I'm not going to make any hasty decisions. Um, there's nothing there. There's nothing there, and I'll, I'll stick with the under sevens maybe for another year. If <laughs> well, if you're anything like Tommy Welsh, he was saying to me the last day that his under 11s, he is so nervous, and he is. He means it. Like I've seen him during games <laughs> that he's on the phone checking in on scores. You know, it means a lot to him. Yeah, looking great friends with Tommy. Uh, Tommy's absolutely mad. Uh, he's, he's he's driving on to their own underage there. Um, you know the lads absolutely love him out there. He, he he's unreal. So um, yeah, we'll have to try get a challenge match against Tommy there, and we'll come up on, on the line. Yeah, he, he's he's nuts on the sideline there as well with them young guys, but he's, he's absolutely brilliant and what a, a great role model for young lads in Tullerone to be looking up to than, than Tommy Welsh. Was he always like that? Yeah, always like that. Yeah, he's just. Uh, he just he's cracked, um, you know. But just obviously one of the best hurlers of all time. As a you know, would have grown up with him, went to school and stuff like that. But um, you know, like if you marked him in training there in St Kieran's College, and he'd you know you might just have a chat. You say something to him. He's look, I'll talk to you after training. Not talking to you now, and then he'd absolutely <laughs> take the head off you in, in a training match. You know, then best friends with you after. He was just um, if it was a training match or an All Ireland final, Tommy treated the exact same way. He just wanted to win it, and that was it. And that's what made him as good as he was. There's only certain players or people that can do that. They can get away with that. Yeah. That can be like that on a pitch and then straight after the whistle goes, be your best mate again. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. I remember we played him in um in a Fitzgibbon League final. I was in WIT and he was in UCC and we were talking that morning about, you know, staying down for the, a few pints afterwards or whatever. And I remember I came on as a sub same day, Henry Shefflin said, Hanto Alpine, we're on our team with a brilliant team. And uh, come on, Tommy. And I just said, no, I kind of half smirked at him. Just 65 or something, Henry was standing over and he kind of looked at me and was like, I'll, I'll talk to you after the match. Don't be talking to me now. <laughs> so I was absolutely, I was so tick with him then. I actually got two points off him, scored a winning point off him. So one of my claim to fame, score a point off of Tommy. Yes, Brian. <laughs> not a bad achievement, not a bad achievement. <laughs> uh, listen, Brian, thanks a million. And congrats on all the achievements you've had with the Kenny Camogie team over the last uh, five or so years. And listen, best of luck with the, with the underage, the under sevens next few weeks right. thanks for having me lads thank you thanks Brian great stuff Brian Darling there the outgoing Kilkenny Camogie senior manager here are some highlights upcoming on the OTB podcast network for today at 9.17am on OTB and we've got LOI match day we've got Rory O'Connor talking rugby and a bonus football pod special with Andy McEntee after the break with the Irish Olympian Louise Shanahan on this weekend's Morton Games counting down to more moments like this top of it goal hashtag OTB Koi gig. Yeah, 9.20am on this Friday morning's OTBM, the sports breakfast show from Off the Ball. The Dublin team to play Monaghan in tomorrow's All-Ireland semi-final at Croke Park has been released. It's ominous. It's a pretty good good team, I have to say. Stephen Cluxton and Golds, uh, full-back line Owen Merchant, Michael Fitzsimons and David Byrne. The half-back line is James McCarthy, John Small and Lee Gannon. Midfield pair, Brian Fenton and Brian Howard. Half-forward line, Paul Mannion, Sean Bugler and Niall Scully. And the full-forward line is Cormac Costello, Conal Callaghan and Colin Basquell. Included on the bench, Kieran Kilkenny. Kieran Kilkenny. Jack McCaffrey, <laughs> Dean Rock, Paddy Small. 
Oh God, it's not bad, is it? Yeah, the subs are insane. Kieran, Uncle Kenny, will he start? Yeah, not named to start uh, in this team, the Castle Lockman, but uh, he could be drafted in late. Yeah, it was a talking point during the week. Uh, yeah. Would he start or, or not? Yeah, he obviously came off the bench the last day. Oh no, he started. Sorry, didn't he? He no, he came off the bench the last off day. The bench. Yeah, he did. Sorry, yeah, he yeah. might do. He might have to do the same again, yeah. Desi Farrell, but like. It was, I was surprised that he didn't start, mm. but there you go. Like tomorrow, we'll see. Does he? Does he start? Does he not? The scary bench. It is. He's named it as wearing number seventeen tomorrow, Kieran Kenny. So we'll see if he starts or not. Uh, just briefly on, on something Tommy mentioned there, talking to your marker in Gaelic games, like Tommy Welsh talk to me after the game. Yeah. Uh, just imagine him saying it. Um, <laughs> you, you are someone. You are someone who doesn't talk. No, and I honestly hate when like a player comes in and they try to chat to me. <laughs> right, I I do, I really do, and I often think, geez, they probably think I'm so ignorant. But like once the whistle's gone at the end, I'll chat away to you. Yeah, and you do obviously at club football, you get to know all the girls you've been playing against them for years at this point, and yeah, you know them. But I don't, I don't want to talk to you during the game. I, if I'm if I'm on the pitch, I will talk constantly. I'll talk constantly you to the fellow marker. You would be my nightmare. But you see, I'll talk. I'll, I'll tease it out a little bit at the start, and then if they don't like it, like if they don't re- reply to me, I will talk even more. I'm like <laughs> chatting away, like I'm on air, <laughs> chatting away about all sorts of things. Yeah, you'll be chatting about the weirdest things, like the stupidest things. But is that you trying to get in their heads? Oh, completely. Okay, yeah, yeah, so yeah. you're you're not interested. But sometimes in having I might know. Nice I might know a lad that's marking me, and you'll chat away to them. Um, I remember. I remember Ryan Wiley used to mark me at club level years ago for Bally Bay. You can imagine that what that was like. I mean, yeah. Right away, the stickiest cornerback to mark you in in the country now, um, but he wouldn't talk much. But I remember no. I was always a talker. Um, we, we'll get into this actually in racing as well because we're going to preview the Morton Games, the Athletics with the Irish Olympian Louise Shanahan is on the line with us now. Louise, good morning. How are things? Good morning. How are you? Keeping well, thanks. Keeping well. Is that something in terms of the start line of a race? Is there are there conversations? That, that yeah, you have with your opponents? Thinking. Yeah, so we have a call room before, so we often spend kind of 20 minutes often sitting in silence with our competitors. Uh, and I just find that so nerve wracking. So I'm the kind of athlete to just talk to anyone, irrespective of whether they want to talk. Um, so I've been told to shut up <laughs> on the start line before. Um, but yeah, no, I'm definitely a talker. But um, yeah, maybe not my best quality, but it's a good way of dealing with the nerves, um, even if my competitors don't really like it. Are you, are you doing it to get into their heads or are you just doing it because you're friendly? Um, I think it's quite boring you know the 20 minutes before a race you're quite nervous um, everyone's just sitting there in silence putting their shoes on I find that quite boring so I guess I I do it to fill the time Um, and yeah it's yeah I think it annoys quite a few of my competitors I have been told to be quiet um, in in no uncertain terms so really really, can you name and shame (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't do that but um, yeah athletes themselves they know I think I I, maybe when I was 18 19 I started to take it to another level where I actually used to talk during the races (laughs) Um, but often you know we'd have heats so we'd have um, you'd know what kind of time you need to run to qualify for the final and yeah, I, I was known for, you know, saying, yeah, that's great, guys. We're on pace or we need to pick it up a little. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'm definitely a talker. Um, maybe not my best quality. Because I've heard of jockeys. That's amazing. I've heard of jockeys chatting during like the Grand National and big races. But like, geez, Louise, for, to be chatting during a race where you presumably have to be keeping your breath and keeping your, 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 your breathing on point, that, that must be difficult. But clearly you don't find it difficult. I think it depends because if you're trying to qualify with the heat, you're not, you're trying to like get to the final, expending the least amount of energy possible. So, you know, a few words telling people that we're running quite quickly and we can slow down uh, is probably less energy than to keep running at the pace they're running. And so, yeah, it's, I think it's worth it. It probably also throws off my competitors, you know, if they're sprinting flat out to try to make a final. 
and I turn around to them and say, oh, no need, you know, we can slow down. And um, yeah, it probably throws them off a little bit. Uh, and you'd be surprised, I think, how people listen, if that makes sense. Uh, I remember a heat for an Irish InterVarsity Championships a few years ago. And um, yeah, we were running down the home straight and I, I thought we'd qualified. So I quite literally told the people around me that, you know, we don't need to sprint, slow down. And the entire race slowed down. I was amazed. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's one of those situations where you're not expecting someone to talk. So then when they do, you kind of pay attention. Um, but, yeah, I've, I have been told, though, to stop speaking during races. So I think I've kind of weaned that out now of my of my um, race day prep. And what about your coaches? Do they, do they like that you do this? Like, I'm sure that can be an advantage at times that you're telling competitors, you know, we're doing well here. Good pace, girls. Like, you're so encouraging. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I think my coaches think it's a bit cheeky and that, yeah, I maybe maybe should do it a little less than focusing on racing. Uh, so I, I was told to um, get the talking during racing out of my uh, my race day. But um, the talking on the start line in the call room, that's very much still there. Um, your own story, Louise, like you're, you're so for people unaware, Irish 800 metre record holder, Olympian in 2020. Well, it actually took place, of course, in, in 2021. Um what was that experience like? Because, I mean, for anyone to, to, to reach an Olympic Games in their chosen discipline, uh, I know a lot of the, the athletes get the get the Olymp- five Olympic rings tattooed. I don't know if you went that far, but I'm sure it was it was a, an unbelievable experience. Yeah, you know, the, um, the Tokyo Olympics was a bit weird because we were in the middle of COVID. Uh, and I always tease my parents, you know, that they say they're supportive parents, but then I go and qualify for the Olympics and they don't even bother to show up. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it was weird. We had no spectators. Uh, it was huge stadiums that were absolutely empty. Um, but yeah, it was it was really cool. And I guess from when I was maybe nine years old, I decided I wanted to qualify for the Olympics. So to achieve that dream is, yeah, incredible. But um, yeah, for me, I really, really want to qualify for Paris to have kind of the full Olympic experience as much for kind of my friends, my coaches, my parents, my family, uh, as for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, an Olympic Games is something incredibly special. And there's so many countries, uh, so many athletes in close proximity. And, you know, to walk around the village where, you know, you've got Skyrise um, apartments, everyone's got their flags out the balcony. There's so much colour, there's so much noise. Uh, you know, some people are getting up and racing at 5 a.m. Other races aren't until 10 or 11 o'clock at e- in the evening. So the village is always buzzing. And so, yeah, so I really, really enjoyed um, the village in the Tokyo Olympics. And I'm really excited, hopefully, to see what it's like in Paris. Am I right in saying, and correct me if I'm wrong here, you're, so you're one of these annoying people that's just unbelievably good at everything. So not only are, are you an Olympian, but uh, doing a PhD in Cambridge in quantum biophysics. Yeah, that's correct. So um, my my PhD, the the physics, uh, the PhD is correct rather than being good at everything. I can tell you, <laughs> I very much cannot sing. Um, yeah, not my strong point. Um, but my PhD is in quantum biophysics. So I take really really small diamonds uh, and I put them inside cancer cells and I use it to measure temperature and viscosity. So it's like quantum sensing. And um, yeah, so I really enjoy it. Uh, it tends to be a bit of a conversation ender. You know, people say, oh, what do you do? And I say, oh, yeah, I'm doing a PhD in quantum physics. And they kind of go, oh, OK. <laughs> but yeah, I really enjoy it. And I think it works really well to kind of have it alongside the running. There's only so many hours a day that you can train for. So it's nice to have a distraction in between. Yeah. What is that balance like? Because I'm sure PhD, that must be really full on. And obviously you're an unbelievable athlete as well. So how do you balance it all? Um, I think it's a lot of kind of running from one place to the other. Um, and I think I'm quite organized in terms of I know how much training I need to do in the day. I know how long that's going to take. 
uh, and then I know what I kind of need to get done before I go training. Um, so I found that it worked really well, particularly coming up through school. You know, I'd know that I'd be going to the track at, say, eight o'clock at night uh, and that I'd have to have my homework done before I, I left. So I think it really does get you to be good at time ma- management and, yeah, really honest packing things the night before. Um, but, yeah, I think it's 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 not so bad in terms of I'd much rather be doing a PhD than a full time job because, if I want to go train at four o'clock in the day now, I can and I can just go training and then have a shower and head back to the lab and work for the evening. Whereas if you're in a job, they often expect you to be there kind of from nine to five. You can't disappear off in the middle of the day for training and they probably don't appreciate it if you leave the country to go race. So, yeah, I think the PhD is much more manageable um, than a job. So I'm very grateful to have it. You're obviously a data analysis person. If you're, if you're studying a PhD in, in quantum physics, like would you, I read somewhere, Louise, that you were using spreadsheets in order to qualify for the Olympics. So you're, you're inputting data uh, and trying to gather the points, I guess, you need for rankings in order to qualify for the Olympics. So your degree basically helped you reach the Olympics. Yeah. So um, the Tokyo Olympics was the first Olympics that had this new qualification scheme where half the athletes were qualifying through the world rankings. Um, and basically, it's like your best five races, but it's not how fast you run. It's like how fast you run, how good the race is and um, where you finish in the race. And it's a very complicated system. And um, so, yeah, I'd set up a spreadsheet to work out which races would be the best races to go to so that I could get the most points to qualify for the Olympics. Um, and yeah, I, I think I managed to do it with a few points to spare. And um, so it was but it, it really was quite tight. And yeah, it, I don't think if I if I hadn't had my spreadsheet, I probably wouldn't have gone to the right races. Uh, and probably wouldn't have qualified for Tokyo. So, yeah, wow. it, it definitely uh, worked out that way as well. And did your coaches like know that you were doing this? Did, were they, I suppose, delighted you did this, especially if you said that you don't think you would have qualified unless you did do it? Yeah, I, I think they kind of leave this side of it to me and <laughs> they get me into good shape and then they, they trust me to find the right races. And um, it's actually quite funny because um, we were at the European Team Championships about two weeks ago in Poland and we had a great I- Irish team out there. Uh, and it was really funny because a couple of athletes came up to me and showed me their spreadsheets. And um, so there's a few of the other um, other runners have now kind of taken after me and have built a spreadsheet to help them qualify for the World Championships this year and hopefully Paris next year. And um, so, yeah, several Irish athletes are now traveling around the circuit with spreadsheets trying to work out the best way to qualify. It must have been quite, um, I guess, satisfying to input a, a sub two minute, 800 meter time into a, into your spreadsheet uh, for the first time uh, quite recently. Like for, for background on this, Louise, so age 16, you win the 800 meters at the European Youth Olympic Festival. This is in Utrecht. Uh, two minutes, 8.75 seconds. Uh, a big time for you at that at that age. But then for six years, you, you, you failed to go under two minutes and eight seconds. So what was it like then to, to smash your record, I guess, and, and to finally go beyond below two minutes yeah so for me I think I really really struggled kind of age 17 18 19 20 and I remember it was um it was up in Mary Peter's track in Belfast and that I finally broke uh two minutes and eight seconds and at the time I ran I think it was 2047 and it pretty much exactly halved the distance between me and the Olympic standard at that time and that was just an incredible moment to know that you know and um, when I died, the 208 wasn't going to be written on my gravestone. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, it was crazy. And um, I think it was maybe only two years later at the same track, the same meet that I um, broke two minutes for the first time. 
And um, so yeah, to to run one fifty nine forty two was um was really was really great, and it, it was a national record at the time. But um, Kira McGeehan has since broken that, so I need to get my act together and run faster. And mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it it also kind of ruined the fun though because the that time was fast enough to be an automatic qualification for the World Championships, <laughs> which means I don't need a spreadsheet. Um, so yeah, I haven't really known what to do. Um, I, I ran the auto qualification this year as well, earlier in the year. So this is my second spreadsheet list year. Um, so yeah, a, a little less stressful, but um, maybe not quite as exciting as uh, trying to get it through the ranking points. Oh, that's and, awful. Yeah. Spreadsheets to work on, yeah. And growing up, Louise, was this always the, the goal, the path that you wanted to take? Uh, yeah, so my dad was um, an international athlete and I think I went to my first race when I was maybe six days old. Uh, I wasn't running, but I was I was <laughs> in the car at the at the side of the cross country course. And um, so, yeah, so I kind of grew up looking up at my dad and thinking, yeah, this is exactly what I want to do. And um, so I think, you know, he really inspired me and he coached me the entire way up until I moved to the UK for the PhD. And um, so, yeah, I think the the entire way I kind of had an idea of what I wanted to do. And uh, I didn't always think it was going to work out. We mentioned earlier that I had some pretty tough years, kind of uh, 17 up to 22. But yeah, and um, yeah, I, I really love running. I I love training. I love being at the track. And yeah, the, the dream of being an Olympian uh, has been there for a very long time. So I know the the Morton Games are starting, and and I know it, it's a, it's an event that you would have loved to have been taking part in. Injury has has ruled that out, unfortunately for you, Louise. But um, I, I guess when you're looking at that women's eight hundred eight hundred meter race now this evening at fifteen pm, um, how do you call it? Like Izzy Buffy, I'm sure is someone who you've had a lot of uh, competition with over the years. But you have other competitors in there: Georgia Hartigan, Nadia Power, Jenna Bramwell, Isaac O'Donnell as well. So it's it's a fairly hotly contested race. Yeah, so um, unfortunately I slipped um, a few days ago, and it's n- it's not a kind of an impact injury, so I'm I'm quite happy about that. But it has ruled me out of competing this evening. And um, but yeah, the women's eight hundred does look uh, like a really stacked race. We have um, quite a few athletes over from America, and um, probably most notably um, Ali Wilson and Olivia Baker, who both have one fifty eight um, PBs, so they're a second faster than our Irish record. Uh, and then there's athletes over um, from Australia. And we actually have a British athlete, Lindsay Sharp, who's running, who was um, the 2016 Olympic finalist. So it's, it's a really stacked race. Uh, and I think Jenna Bromwell and Georgie Harshkin are now the two Irish athletes who are running in it. So I'm really excited to see how they run. But I'll be watching it through closed fingers, hoping, you know, that I don't look back in it saying that was the race I needed to be in. And also in the 100 metre hurdles, Sarah Lavin, she's an Irish athlete that everybody has close eyes on always and she's in good form at the minute as well. Yeah, Sarah Lavin is doing absolutely incredibly. Like this girl has just nailed her season. Um, She raced in Stockholm last week and she ran 12.73, which is a big PB. It was the automatic standard for the Olympic Games on the second day of the qualification. So we've got a year, 365 days to do it. Her first race, the second day of the qualification, she goes out, she runs the automatic standard. It's just absolutely incredible. And so, yeah, so it'll it'll be really exciting to see how she runs. She didn't have the best weather when she raced in Stockholm. So, you know, maybe with the right race, the right competition and the good weather, she can start getting towards that national record that Dervila Rourke holds. I think it's 12.65, so a little bit of the way to go. But yeah, Sarah is just nailing um, the competition this year. She's doing so well. Yeah, she's only eight hundredths of a second off Dervil O'Rourke's national record of twelve point six five as well. So she's really hunting that that figure down. Um, 
in the men's 800 uh, as well. Louise Mark English, I guess, is the name to look out for here. Yeah, I mean, Mark is, he's great. He's an, an incredibly reliable athlete. I guess most recently he won the bronze medal at the European Championships in Munich last year. Um, and yeah, so he was racing in the UK last year, or the UK last week, and they actually had such a big race, they split it in two, and they put him into the B race. Uh, and he clearly wasn't very happy about that because he won the entire thing from the B race. So he's in, he's in good shape. Uh, he's some stiff competition from the British athletes, uh, I guess, most notably, um, Kyle Langford is back, uh, looking for his fourth straight victory in the Morton Games. So I don't know what connection he has with that track, mm-hmm. um, but he's been running really well at this competition. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes. Uh, and then Guy Learmouth is also over from the UK. Um, and we have several other Irish athletes in that race. And um, John Fitzsimons has been bouncing all over Europe. I think every time I pick up my phone, he's raced a new race. Uh, and we also have Harry Purcell, Roland Sturdis and Mark Milner. So yeah, a great field uh, and very much kind of a battle of the Irish versus the British. Lots of other uh, Irish athletes look forward to in the Morton Games as well uh, in Santry. Um, the European Under-23 Championship as well is something, uh, I mean, Israel Alatunde, I guess, is a name that we're, we're all very familiar with. He's, he's in action himself. Yeah, so the European Under-23s, I think, started two days ago, possibly. Uh, and we actually have three athletes who've qualified for finals tonight. Um, so you mentioned Israel, he's in the 100 metre final and um, yeah, he's he's another athlete who's just building year on year. Last year we saw him run the national record 10-17 uh, in Munich at the European Championships and he's back in another European final. So it'd be really exciting to see uh, what he can do. And then we also have athletes coming through. So for example, we have Jack Raftree has qualified for the 400 metres and his semi yesterday was just incredible. Uh, he ran a big PB, 45.89, first time under 46 seconds, and um, to absolutely blitz his semi. So, yeah, we're really excited to see him in the final. And the other person to look out for uh, is Nicola Tothill. Uh, she's a hammer thrower, and she was out with me at the European Team Championships two weeks ago, where she threw an under-23 Irish record. Uh, and she went out to the heat, into the heats, the qualification yesterday for the hammer. And the very first throw, she just threw the automatic standard straight into the final. No mm-hmm. questions about it. And um, so, yeah, she's in incredibly good form. And I'm really, really excited to see her throw this evening. Yeah, it feels like Irish athletics is in a really good place at the minute. Like if we look at Rashida Adelecki, you know what she is doing. Like it's just unbelievable to, to see some of her performances. Yeah, no, Rashida is just, yeah, she, she is another level. Um, I, I'm amazed every time she runs, I think, wow, there's no way she can run faster. And then she goes and takes another half a second off, uh, the national record. And um, yeah, Rashida's actually opted not to run the European under 23s this year. Um, but she will be running hopefully the world championships later in the summer. And yeah, I mean, when we look at Rashida, you know, she's one of the best in the world right now. And yeah, when I, when I grow up, I want to be, just like Rashida. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Br- Louise, brilliant stuff. Hopefully you recover from the injury very soon. And uh, listen, you'll have, a, you'll have a job in analysis anyway. Absolutely. Uh, punditry when you, when you decide to hang up the spikes. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant stuff, Louise. Thanks a million for your time this morning. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks, Louise. Great stuff. Anyone wants to check out more information as well, by the way, in the, the Morton Games, uh, mortongames.ie uh, has, has all the list of, of uh, races at the interna- International Track and Field Meet today in Santry. Uh, Ash, great stuff. As Thanks, Shane. Best uh, of luck this weekend now. Yeah, same to yourselves. Thank you. Hopefully, it's a Meath, Monaghan double. Yeah, I think we both need the luck. A no, little bit of luck. Exactly. And no offence to Down and Dublin fans out there, but from a selfish point of view and from a completely unbiased point of view, of course, I'd love. <laughs> On Monaghan and Meath. On Monaghan and Meath, exactly. <laughs> Monday's show, uh, all the uh, No Gilroy, No Party YouTube commenters can have a wonderful weekend because Jagilroy is back.
I'll be with him in studio on Monday morning. We'll have the performance rankings, all the reaction to this weekend's Gaelic football. Uh, Anthony Moyles and Maliki O'Rourke will join us to, I guess, decompress from the uh, the two All-Ireland sem- senior semi-finals and, of course, the Talton Cup final as well. Alan Quinlan on the other 20s final. Best of luck to them 20s and Richie Murphy and all the rest of them uh, are the players after a difficult few weeks in, in South Africa they've had uh, but a huge final against France at 6pm this evening so best of luck to them plenty more besides as well have a fabulous Friday OTB AM The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball